Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to the final episode of the Takeaway Club podcast, uh, season 1 I should say. So if you are tuning in for the first time, I am your host Krishna. A few words before we jump into the episode. This podcast was a side project I picked up just before the quarantine kicked in and it has really helped me keep sane during this roller coaster times. Over the last few months, I had the privilege of talking to amazing smart people from different backgrounds like musicians, CEOs, NGO leaders, virologists, among other wonderful, wonderful people. So if you want to check out any of the past episodes, you could do so on Spotify or Apple Music or any of the popular music platforms. Simply search for The Takeaway Club and you should find the podcast there. Or a much simpler way would be to head over to the takeaway.club where I have listed all the episodes with relevant links and detailed show notes. It is thetakeaway.club and I also have a fun newsletter going on along with the podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, there is a good chance that you might like that one as well. Coming to today's episode, uh, full disclosure, we recorded this episode a while back and a lot has changed since then. For starters, I hadn't planned on wrapping up the podcast at the time of uh, doing this episode. And another notable mention is, we talk at length about the Indian educational system and where there is scope for improvement and all those things. And again, as we were having this discussion, the new educational policy had not been rolled out. So whatever we discuss, we are referring to the old system that was in place. But I felt it was uh, best to preserve the essence of the conversation and haven't edited out anything other than for technical reasons. So that's something I wanted to get out of the way. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Takeaway Club. And today's episode is a very, very special one because in a lot of ways it exemplifies what this podcast is about. Deep, candid chats with uh, interesting, super inspiring people. And with that coming in, uh, into today's episode, uh, if you ask me at the turn of the year if I would be speaking with this person, I would have said not a chance. And yet, it is one of those conversations that I wanted to have for years. So, it's an absolute privilege to have Deepak Mehta in today's episode. A uh, little bit background on uh, Deepak. He did his undergrad in computer science at Bichpilani and he went on to do his MBA from Ahmedabad. He currently works as a manager at Crystal, an Indian analytical company providing ratings, research and other advisory services. Uh, how I know Deepak is uh, through Cora. Uh, he is one of the most popular and active figures on Quora. Uh, he has over 167,000 followers counting. He has written almost 4,000 answers on the platform, uh, hitting the magical 100 million views mark. And he has been awarded the Quora top writer for five years straight between 2014 and 2018. His articles have been published in a number of global media houses, uh, including HuffPost, Forbes, Apple News. CNN, Business Insider, The Independent, Yahoo, amongst so many others. Personally, I've been following him on Quora for years now, 
right from the time I got into the platform when I was in high school. He's one of the smartest persons I have had the fortune of learning from, thanks to Cora and the internet as such. He has had a phenomenal impact on my personality, my ideas and my ideals and all of this simply through his Quora answers. So that's something that you should definitely check out and I'm sure you'd be itching to do that as soon as you hear from Deepak. So without further ado, here is Deepak Mehta. Hi Deepak. Hey Krishna, hi. How are hi, you? Hi Krishna. I'm good, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me and uh, I think that introduction was far, far, far more flattering than what the truth is. So thank you again for that. And <laughs> no, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. <laughs> it is basically an account of whatever you have been up to Deepak. So I would disagree that it was flattering. It's it's just the kind of person you are. So I didn't have a lot of trouble uh, you know, stitching that up to be honest. And that said, I am one of your biggest fans. I've been for years. So for folks listening, if you hear me uh, slur my way through some of the questions or stammer here and there, it is purely because I'm super nervous about doing this episode. Um, so it's one of the cases of where you uh, you wouldn't expect that you would be talking to someone that uh, you have looked up to and admired from afar. So that's uh, honestly how I feel about you. Again, really, really nice, really kind, really generous of you, Krishna. Thank you so much. Uh, so I want to cover a lot of topics today. Of course, you have written 4,000 answers on every topic under the sun. And in a way, the take-home for the people listening it will be the take-home for me as well. Uh, so, But before we get into the episode, uh, I know you've had an incredibly busy and whirlwind of a lockdown, to say the least. So mm-hmm. what have you been up to? Ah, okay, that's interesting. So I think uh, the first couple of months uh, were, you know, it, it 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 was a very drastic change, right? So I think not only for me, for everyone, to come to terms with the reality that you know we are living in a world now where uh, even a very small action from a you know from a, a remote location can impact your life. So it was difficult. I think the first lockdown uh, for three weeks was really difficult to get through, and I was very naive, right? I was uh, expecting that you know, this would be the end of it or probably just a few more weeks. So uh, the first three weeks, I think I, it just, it just uh, it took me time to come to terms with the new uh, way of things. Then when I realized that, you know, okay, there'll be a few more weeks of lockdown. So I started getting into my uh, old hobbies. So I start, so I had taken a, I think a few months of break from reading books. So I got into that. I started reading a lot of non-fiction books, a genre that I've not really been very fond of. Uh, I finally started, thankfully, due to the lockdown, I finally started uh, working again on my physical uh, health, right? So uh, I started working out, I started uh, jogging. And uh, then slowly, I think uh, 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 in the uh, first couple of months, that was my focus. Uh, Then uh, the third month, I had a change in terms of the work that I'm doing right now. So uh, starting from, I think, end of May, uh, I started in a new role that was a very, you know, that's a very dynamic one that uh, required me to sort of learn a lot more about some things that I'm not really uh, very uh, good at and then get into that in just a couple of weeks. And there was no sort of knowledge transfer or handover done from the previous person who left. So it was a very uh, interesting uh, few weeks from, let's say, end of May 
uh, till end of June. And then at the end of June, I sort of decided to switch cities. I finally left Mumbai on 1st of July after seven years. And I shifted to Pune. And then I think the last three weeks I've been here and I've, I've just, just been trying to settle down. So that, that's pretty much it, brother. I think uh, uh, it's, it's been an interesting time, right? Uh, a lot, lot of things have changed and uh, a lot of these changes are here to stay, right? The work from situation, the entire uh, 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 economic uh, uh, you know, impact that this particular pandemic is going to have, the way businesses are run, the way people think and approach and you know, both things. So uh, I've just, I think it's been an interesting time and particularly for me, I've changed my role after three years. Uh, I've changed my city after seven years and I finally left Kora, a hobby that I've had for the last eight, 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 eight to eight and a half years. So I finally decided to hang up my boots there and started uh, sort of writing on Medium. And uh, currently I'm just uh, trying to get my website, uh, personal blog or a website done for free. Uh, my little sister is a computer engineering grad who's pretty amazing at coding so she's doing it for me for free so yeah that's that's pretty much it yes wow that's awesome <laughs> so it's been a quite an interesting few weeks for you yes a lot of change i i actually despise change right i like routine but i think it was overdue and then when you sort of change one thing it's easier to change other things so when my job uh, role changed i got this new opportunity i decided okay maybe this is the right time to sort of move because anyways my new team is based out of pune and it'll be a good change right from the hectic uh, mayhem that is mumbai uh, so and then when that happened i sort of figured okay you know in the in a week's time i'm going to move to a new city and kora uh, really wasn't working out for me for the last few months now and i think i laid uh, laid that out in, a, in probably the second last answer of mine on why why so because of the way they are running things now so i just decided okay if i'm changing my job changing my city i right there i i'd better change my hobby also right so i started focusing on uh, so anyways i've been on a break for the last one month or so i have not been writing a lot uh, but i've just I was just trying to settle down and uh, get a hang of you know how medium works mm-hmm. and then probably get this website up and running so this probably will be where i'll be do i'll be doing most of my writing so without being dependent on a third party platform you know having your own website where you uh-huh. have full control of your content and your strategy yeah, and all. That's, true. So, yeah, that's, that's that's yeah that's something that i hear a lot of uh, people especially on twitter who are into startups and tech space they have been pushing towards having your own uh, followers your own email list move on from these third party platforms you never know when they will screw us over Anyway. Absolutely, absolutely. It's always good to have that, and based on you know the, the uh, let's say the current opportunities that you have in terms of all of these blogging platforms. So WordPress Premium is a pretty cheap option, right, compared to you know what you would shell out a few years ago. So for probably just a hundred dollars every year annually, you can have your own personal uh, domain. I mean, if you just want to write for free, they have a free option. If you want to customize it, have your own custom domain, and uh, do that. I think you, you just shell out thousand, you know, hundred bucks, which is probably uh, you know what you pay for a netflix account on a annual basis so you have all of these opportunities you don't have to do a lot, lot of coding you don't need to know the technical aspects of it and you can just set this up and then have your own little personal space on the web right uh, instead of depending on a third party that makes absolute sense i think uh, like you mentioned it's been a little overdue um, but i'm glad you started out on cora <laughs> so i know I have, how much i have learned from you there um, so a lot of my um, Uh, questions or not even questions the things that i want to talk about uh, today uh, especially the 
opening few parts involve your time at Cora. Um, since uh, that's where we got to know each other in a way. So uh, the thing that I'm, I've been most curious about is, uh, uh, someone who has read, like probably I've read hundreds of your answers over these years. And one thing that has stood out for me is the level of detail that goes into your answers. It could be on politics, it could be on movies or comics and whatnot. It doesn't matter what the topic is. But the level of depth you uh, give in an answer is like unparalleled. Probably Balaji Vishwanathan comes close uh, in that aspect. Uh, there are only a handful of people who puts as much effort into an answer as you folks do. So I want to understand what goes on in your mind when you sit down to draft an answer. Is it a case of coming up, uh, coming across an interesting question and then you do your research to answer that question or is it more like pinning down the knowledge that you have already acquired in a way? Okay. Okay. So it's, 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 let's say a combination of both. Uh, but, uh, I, I, I lean towards the latter half, right? So, uh, I generally avoid writing about topics. I do not know anything about. And, uh, I, uh, so a lot of the times I'll come across an interesting question that I have an inkling of, you know, uh, of the topic or that particular, uh, uh you know, uh, context. And then I'll, again, as you said, I'll just do my research, figure out, you know, what I'd read about it. So I don't recall stuff exactly, but I sort of retain the key elements that make it uh, feasible later on to, you know, just go back and do a Google search and figure out and, you know, where that, uh, uh, where that thing came from. So it's mostly the latter, right? So I'll avoid writing about anything that I have zero idea about. So for example, uh, I would not get into cryptocurrency because uh-huh. that is a topic that I've tried reading a lot about. It's sort of went over my head and I still believe that there's not much uh, uh, informed opinion about uh, you know how how and why people should trade in cryptocurrencies, mm-hmm. which ones to avoid, which ones to sort of uh, you know uh, uh, get on the bandwagon. So uh, I'll, I'll avoid doing that. So if I see a question that resonates with me in terms of the topics that I think I know about, I'll write about them. It has to be an interesting question. It has to be something that I feel uh, if I write about it, if I spend probably an hour or so writing about it, then that has to give some value to the reader. In rare cases, it does happen that maybe I'm reading a new book or maybe I'm just reading a new article and that is something which is very interesting, very very novel that I haven't read about earlier. So I'll just go back, read a lot more about it and then I'll try and find questions pertaining to that specifically and then answer them. So it's a combination of both, uh, but it's generally that I'll find an interesting question. I know about something and then I'll gather my thoughts, do my research. It's easier for me to do so because I, I as, as you said, right? So I, I try and retain at least the key components of what I've read. So I might not remember exactly the details and nuances of an article, but I'll carry that, carry the gist of it with me. So when probably a year later, if I have to recall that, I'll just put in a few keywords on Google. I am pretty good at that. So I'll do that. I'll just refresh my memory and then sort of write about it. Uh, so actually that brings me back to something that I've been uh, uh, really keen on. How do you retain so much information? Like, do you rely on a specific technique or a routine, maybe something like a mind palace or a mental model that allows you to like learn these vastly different subjects and often in parallel? See, just a quick look at your LinkedIn bio that mentions some of the subjects that you are currently learning. It includes risk management, game theory, bioethics. I mean, 
I'm just like mentioning a couple of topics. You have like seven, eight uh, subjects there and they're all like vastly different subjects, right? It's almost like you're absolutely immune to this context switching when it comes to these wide-ranging interests. Uh, so as they say, right, it's not a bug, it's a feature. For me, it's not a feature, it's a bug. So I uh, am unable to focus on something for a very long period of time. So I have to do this. So even during a day, I'll do uh, three, four different things, right? So I'll, I'll if it's, I, I've found that in the, uh, you know, in the recent few years, it's become very difficult for me to sit down and just finish a book and just sit, you know, in a, in a single sitting back like I used to do. So now what I do is I break that down into parts. And I try and do a couple of things at the same time. Again, not at the same time per se, but if I'm reading something or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm involved in a particular activity or doing a particular online course, I'll probably just do that for half an hour or an hour. And then I go back to something else, which is completely different because it actually gives you a break from the monotony of reading about a new topic, right? And uh, I actually find that's useful. So uh, uh, all of these things uh, is just... Uh, you know, just an outcome of my currently very limited memories, uh, you know, memory span. So I, I don't, I'm unable to sort of focus on something for a very long period of time. So I have to do this. And I've actually found that is useful because I've been able to sort of uh, work on like three things in parallel. Uh, I'll do that for, let's say, 10 days and I'll finish all of those three things instead of doing them three days at a time. Uh, and I've actually realized that uh, even if you're learning about a subject that is, not aligned to your interests or your focus areas. There are times, and I'll, I'm right now unable to provide a particular instance or an example, but I've found that even two very remote, uh, very, uh, uh, what do you call, unconnected, disconnected, sorry, disconnected topics can actually help. Uh, so if you're learning about them, it actually you can invite some of the lessons, some of the learnings from one topic and take it to a different topic, which is completely unrelated to the first one. Uh-huh. And it actually helps you reinforce your learning. So uh, while I was learning about, uh, uh, let's say, uh, uh, in the, I, you know, so right now I'm uh, learning about scriptures. So I, I just found a copy of Bhagavad Gita with me uh, from the founder of Scon, right? So that's probably like the authority figure on that. So I'm just rereading it. I've read that uh, a few years ago. I'm doing a couple of courses on Coursera, which is, uh, so the, the entire course, uh, pro, uh, you know, uh, bundle is called Religion Through Its Scriptures. So it focuses on six of the major religions in the world, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, and Judaism. So there are six courses, each one focusing on what the scriptures in that particular course tells you. I'm not a very religious guy. I'm actually not a religious guy at all. And that is something that my parents and my in-laws complain about a lot. But I like reading about it because it's a very interesting part of history, right? So I would rather not have had any religion in the world. But again, because it's already been done, so if you actually go back to the source, read about the history of them and the scriptures and all, uh, you can actually draw a lot of uh, uh, insight into human history. And uh, there are a lot of things to learn. So I, so r- this course I do sometimes in the morning, right? Uh, when I wake up and then towards the end of night, when I think, when I find things are more peaceful, right? Everybody has slept off. I'm probably just one person awake in this entire one kilometer radius, uh, uh, you know, at three o'clock at night, I'll just go back to something which is more intensive. So I've been doing a course on, uh, uh, tableau data visualization so it actually helps me sort of keep up the pace because i know that you know if i do not like what i'm reading right now i can always stop go back to something that i find easier uh-huh. to deal with and then come back when i'm sort of a little relaxed a little uh, recharged so again not a feature but a bug but sort of works for me so yeah that's good 
So uh, going back to one of my previous points, do you have like a specific technique when you're trying no. to learn these subjects? <laughs> no, sorry, I didn't address that, but no. So <laughs> I just read because I like reading, right? It's uh, So reading and cooking are two of my favorite things to do because they are sort of stress busters for me. So I read if I'm on my phone, I read if I'm on my laptop, I read if I just, you know, pick, pick a book off my shelf. And Quora actually started all because of that, right? Somebody uh-huh. uh, recommended me that the platform in back in 2012, when it was very, you know, when it was very much focused on tech, on innovation, on business, entrepreneurship, startups and all. So uh, I started on that and I actually had a pretty bad accident in 2012. I was bedridden for, a, I think, a couple of months. Oh. So I had nothing more to do. So I finished my Game of Thrones entire five books uh, and I sort of then you know started on Quora. Mm-hmm. So I just read a lot. I mean, I, I don't think I retain more than 10% of what I read in a day. So wow. it could be comics, it could be, uh, uh, you know, uh, so I have a pocket feed that I've automated to collect articles from, you know, my favorite websites on a regular basis. So I just open that up in the morning. I just go through the top 10, top 15 articles. So I just read just because I like reading. I don't uh, read a book or an article with the sole purpose of memorizing that, mm-hmm. of, you know, remembering information from it. But I've realized that over the last 10 to 12 years of, you know, having been a quite a, a, a voracious reader, I just realized that now I'm and I've gotten into the hang of things, right? So the, that practice of the last 10, 12 years has allowed me to sort of retain crucial information. So it's not something I do uh, very consciously, uh, but, you know, it just happens. And that is, I think... I can uh, make uh, this like, point. Yeah, like like muscle memory, right? So when people play guitar for a couple of you know a couple of decades, then they don't even have to think about what they're doing. So it's sort of similar to me. Uh, you know, reading is similar for me. So I don't use any specific technique or any specific mental model. Uh, I've tried that in college. I didn't it didn't really work out, and I again didn't have the patience to persist. So I just focused on reading for the sake of reading for having fun. And yeah, that's yeah that's how it is right now. <laughs> so how does your week look like in general? Maybe particularly the weekends where you have more free time and not bogged down by the office work. Are you like super conscious about where you spend your time? Do you like plan things to the minute? Have this um, very specific routine that helps you like get the most out of your day? Absolutely not. I do not have a routine. Uh, And again, that is something my father is very... uh, uh, what do you call very, very angry about right yeah. always because it's an army person he uh, has this uh, thing about uh, you know having a fixed routine being on time doing things on schedule and uh, doesn't really work out for me so what I do is I do not plan out I don't have a planner I don't have a diary or an online planner or a productivity app or something like that I just uh, go to sleep when I feel like sleeping I get up when I you know when I'm fully rested at least on the weekends when I don't have to sort of you know do any work uh-huh. And then in the day, I, I think I'll get some of the basic household chores out of my way in the morning itself in the first couple of hours after waking up. And then after that, it just depends. So for example, today, I knew, knew I had this uh, uh, session lined up. So I just freed my time and tried to sort of wrap everything up by five o'clock. Didn't really happen. Sorry for that. But yeah, and uh, if let's say next weekend, I'm planning on not doing anything. So I'll probably just uh, sit down, watch a couple of movies that I've, you know, that are there in my mm-hmm. watch list. Uh, I'm reading through a few of the newer DC comics. I haven't read comics in, I think, last couple of years now. So I'm just reading through, through that. So I just plan on spending the day in a very relaxed, uh, go-on style, right? Uh, 
not doing anything. So I don't really have a plan for the weekend. Some some uh, days I'll feel like doing a lot of things. I'm super productive. Uh, you know, from the minute I get up to uh, you know, let's say you know, till I fall asleep, I'll be on calls, doing my household chores at the same time, being on mute and all. I'll try and juggle things and you know, uh, try and multitask just to save time. But on some days I absolutely feel like doing nothing. So you have that Bruno Mars song, right? Uh, so I I just feel like that and I don't do anything. I don't plan out my day to be very honest. I don't. I think a lot more effort goes into planning out things to the T, right to the minute. Uh, and you actually end up not executing that. Uh-huh. So it's better to have an idea of what you want to accomplish in the in a particular day, and it can actually be not doing anything, right? Just relaxing, recharging. I think uh, at least in the current uh, day and age where uh, everyone is, you know, everyone is hustling twenty four seven, and uh, uh, people really do not seem to have time to sort of just stop and you know just gotcha. look around, figure out what they're doing, and take a break. I think that's pretty important to sort of give yourself time every now and then. Mm-hmm. And not get lost in just things that you have to do. So you have to do your job well. You have to excel at what you're doing. You have to have a personal brand. You have to be active on social media. There's a lot of pressure. Right? The world is gotten, yeah. And uh, I think it's, it's so what I do is at least in, in every day, I have this uh, rule, which I call the 4% rule. So 4% of a day is approximately an hour. So I try, to try and take out an hour every day, irrespective of how hectic that day has been. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I use that hour just for myself. So I usually do that, you know, once my wife goes to sleep. So I just have that hour where I'll do absolutely nothing or I'll just do things that I want to do uh, and not things I have to do. Uh, so that actually gives okay. me a good break, uh, uh, sort of help me rejuvenate after a 20, you know, a, a full day of working. Mm-hmm. And I, then I extend that concept over to some of the weekends. So last weekend was pretty hectic for me. I was sort of just setting up the place. So I decided to wrap all of that up. Uh, but this weekend, I know I have, I don't have a lot of things to do. So I'm just uh, talking to you now and I'll be hosting a friend for dinner uh, at, let's say, nine o'clock. That's pretty much it. So, yeah. Uh, so it's not about productivity hacks or like hustling, but rather like you have like a core set of activities that you really enjoy doing. So when you end up doing that, you'll, uh, you would have had a productive day. So sort of yes. like a, Domino effect that makes so much sense. So there is no inherent pressure to get something done. Absolutely. So if you do things that you like, I mean, it's no longer a job or a chore, right? So uh-huh. uh, uh, at times when I felt that writing on Quora for me was more like a job that I had to do, I would just stop for a couple of days and I'd only uh-huh. write when I felt like. So yeah, most of the things that I do on over the weekends, so even learning, right? So I don't do really, I don't really do courses just because I have to amp up my professional resume. I just, and again, you see, right? So a lot of them are not even related to the field that I'm in right uh-huh. now. I just do them because I like learning. And uh, if I don't like something, uh, even though I might have invested, let's say 10 hours into that already, I'll just stop instead of wasting another 10 more hours trying to just finish because you've already started, you've already invested time. Uh-huh. I would rather just save those 10 future hours. So I just do things that I am interested in. And uh, yeah, I mean, having a schedule, probably doesn't work for me i think i know it works for a lot of super amazing super productive people but for me it doesn't and i'm really happy that way uh-huh. so actually one common thing that i see with the uh, i am folks right i mean not to brand you people or anything uh my mentor is from i am and a couple of my close friends a lot of people in my circle so when they look back and they they inevitably point out their time at IAM as this very transformative moment 
that made them more curious or eager to learn uh, new subjects simply because of the kind of environment that they spend those two years in, right is that something that you resonate with uh, actually uh, <laughs> my assessment of those two years is very different right so you don't really have time to do a lot of things there's a lot of academic uh, workload that you have to take care of uh, and then this i mean academics is not even the core of it right so i think uh, once you get into a college like that where life is really intense and uh, uh, so you have all of these subjects that you have to learn about right and then in just the first 3 months you need to have your resume set up and it doesn't it's not that easy so i think it took me 3 3 and a half months just to get my resume to that one page of format Uh-huh. and it took me probably like a two dozen revisions so as soon as you come in you are assigned a place comp placement committee representative to you who will work with you throughout the placement process starting from helping you put your resume across in the best format possible i thought i had everything in place in the first couple of meetings but then i realized that was not the case so then you have that and then companies start coming in they'll have their pre placement box where you have to go and you have to sort of ask intelligent questions to stand out from everybody else you have to make an impact and after that so classes only were what from 8:45 in the morning till 1:15 in the afternoon so it was barely i think 5 5 and a half hours uh, not even 5 and a half hours i think 4 and a half 5 hours right uh-huh. but then uh, after the classes you have to sort of prepare for the next day so you'll have three more classes the next day you will you know what is going to be taught you have to go prepared with your uh, cases uh, you have to prepare a presentation on your some uh, you know uh, on your understanding of that particular case you have to in some cases you have to actually solve the question before and then go present your uh, you know methodology or the uh, the uh, sort of thought process that you had and you do that in groups so classes actually were the easiest part because you would actually just sit down and listen to the professor but go in, and then you go back uh, at 110 have your lunch and then you wait for the next few minutes if you know if there's a surprise test announcement if not you go back and relax for a couple of hours and then you start studying probably at the library right because it's a group of four to five people uh-huh. uh so you don't really get a lot of time and it was a very difficult uh uh period for me because i came from a uh diametrically opposite kind of an environment in bitscova where there was zero percent attendance and i probably uh, abused that feature in <laughs> at least my last two years so i i probably had barely at five percent attendance in my last few years again not recommended i think people should go to class even if Uh, there's not you know even if you don't find it really interesting because something or the other will stick and in college i think kids feel that they have a lot to do and they don't really have time but trust me uh, looking back right going back to the 2007 2011 years i think i had a lot of time i could have done everything that i wanted and attended my classes uh-huh. uh, and if i had the chance to do it again i'll do it but again just coming back um, so yeah the setup in iim was very different there was a lot of focus on academics you had 90% attendance rule so even if you skip one class for a particular subject that was the maximum that you were allowed second class if you skip skip you you know you go beyond the you go below the 90% mark because they only had 15 to 20 classes in a okay. particular subject so uh, and then you had to be on time so i got thrown out of a class because i entered the class at 8:46 instead of 8:45 am ah. right so i didn't really get a lot of time and i don't think people really get a lot of time when they are in a super competitive uh, indian education the rate right, of the pinnacle of indian education system where everything is focused in terms of achievements right you have to go out you have to be in the top 10 or top 15% of the batch you have to get the highest paying internship you have to get the biggest brand name you have to be part of some of the you know most popular club 
you have to be a part of let's say uh, the placecom committee because that gives you you know very uh, strong boost to your resume so a lot of things to be done and it's super competitive you know that people are there with that mindset to sort of continuously hustle and work for the next two years it was very difficult for me and i do not think that iim was that transformative for me uh, it did absolutely teach me that it's possible for me to stretch my limits right so I, even if i have to work 16 hours a day now it doesn't really bother me because i'm accustomed you know i was accustomed to sort of working 24 22 20 22 hours a day you know on wow days that really crazy uh, uh, during those couple of years but i believe that my transformation the most transformational time of my life was when i was in my undergrad at scoa Uh, I know it sounds very counterintuitive, but I had a lot of time to figure out who I, you know, who I was as a person, mm-hmm. where my interests lie, uh, uh, and you know what I wanted to do. And I actually had this conversation with someone who was from Bitspilani. We didn't know each other. He was on the Bitspilani campus. I was from Goa, but again, we were in the same batch, in the same class in IIM. And once I was just, we just sitting around and we just uh, discussing this, and we both realized that uh, in IIM you uh, get. Uh, set you know you are given a set things of you know set of things to do you are given a clear path on what you have to do to achieve that you are given enablers to help you reach your objective in bits you are given absolute freedom to do everything that you want to do so i know classmates of mine who have gone on to uh, civil services i know classmates of mine who have gone on to advanced research in physics classmates of mine who are doing voluntary work with world bank and with you know unesco and all and uh, people who have got into politics people who have gotten into stand up comedy uh, into uh, uh, freelancing photography and there are people who are super successful in all of their fields and a lot of these people when i look back to the time i spent with them or i you know the time where i knew them right i, I didn't really spend a lot of time with a lot of folks i had a very small uh, close group so uh, it just feels like uh, that was all because of the freedom that the entire bit system provided right so it told people that you can be good at something uh-huh. uh you can you can put a lot of things and you don't really have to be excellent at academics to achieve that and it's perfectly fine to uh, pursue a very offbeat career if and you know if you're passionate about it so i think bits for me was a time when i got a lot of freedom to try out things to figure out what i wanted to do make a lot of mistakes and you know mm-hmm. not get bogged down by it thankfully Uh, right uh, uh, and uh, i think i think it was the probably the most wonderful time and my sort of love for reading rejuvenated during that time where i would go to the library not to read about the academics but to probably read something about political science or uh, philosophy or probably just fiction right so it allowed me that freedom and that uh, time to do and explore all of these avenues figure out what i wanted to do and uh, yeah i think that was it in i it taught me a lot of important life lessons and it actually uh, in terms of my professional uh, achievements i am here because of my time you know my couple of years there couple of years at amdabad but uh, i'll say it in terms of personal overall transformation i'll i'll say that bits was far more important to me than amdabad was yeah that makes total sense so back in your final year in bits what was the thought process like when you decided to get into mba was it just like the next logical step uh, being in final year of undergrad or is that something that you were always set your eyes on because you were passionate about management so what was it about <laughs> mba that fascinated you in a way maybe 
<laughs> okay so i so one thing that i've tried to do krish is that i've been brutally honest about a lot of th- most of the things right so i'll again do that uh, i didn't do mba because i was passionate about it i didn't do it because i wanted to get into management i wanted to be in finance or strategy or mm-hmm. consulting marketing blah, blah, blah. i didn't really even know a lot about what and you know, what these institutes offer in terms of specializations at you know at the time i decided to write my cat for me it just boiled down to one simple thing that that was the only way out for me so i told you right i had a pretty mediocre academic track record at wits and a lot of that has to do because of my own choices uh-huh. so uh, when i was about to graduate i realized that uh, <laughs> based on my achievements in the last 3 years academically and otherwise i wouldn't really get uh, a good probably a good uh, uh, comfortable paying a good uh, uh, engaging kind of a job Mm-hmm. and uh, i decided that rather than that i you know that's i will probably just try something else and mba was just uh, becoming a fad at that time and i thought okay hey i can do that and thankfully for me it sort of clicked right so i got into a good a good college i i figured out a good uh, what do you call uh, specialization for myself mm-hmm. and i'm at a job where i'm actually very happy otherwise i wouldn't have stayed with the company for the last 7 years now so i it worked out for me but it wasn't a very uh logical or a very thought out well thought out uh, choice for me it was just an escape from getting into <laughs> probably not having a job or probably having a job uh, uh, you know that pays probably 20000 a month that uh, mm-hmm. uh, we used to call them bus companies right because they would just hire people in buses right <laughs> they'll hire bus so rather than have that i decided that this is probably one more chance of uh-huh. redeeming my Uh, academic uh, mistakes and you know probably getting another chance at redoing things and i took that up so uh, yeah it's not yeah. a very biased decision but i know that people uh, people have already asked me a lot of this question a lot of times i told them that this was my thought process but it should not be yours mm-hmm. if, you, if you have that option if, if you have I that clarity you know it sounds counterintuitive on the face of it but when you look at it it's sort of like a motivation for people who still haven't figured out what they want to do and and then when they like um, uh hear from someone like you you are already at bits which is like a very prestigious college in india but even at that point you hadn't figured out you were sort of boxed in and fo- in a way forced to take the mba leap but in in hindsight is it has worked out really well this is like a very good uh encouragement for folks who are still pondering whether mba is the right step for me or not i mean at least that's how absolutely. i absolutely yeah i i just tell people a couple of things i tell people to sort of uh, a focus on their academics right so a lot of people will tell you gpa doesn't matter your uh-huh. academic record doesn't matter it does at least in the first year it absolutely does so focus on academics go to classes even if you don't really want to you have time you have all the time in the world at least during undergrad days do a lot of things explore absolutely do that right even if you're bad at it nobody is going to remember i i did not try out a lot of things because again as i told you earlier right i am not a very socially uh, extroverted outgoing kind of a person mm-hmm. and i always used to think about what other people would think about me if i am doing something and i sort of falter at it if i am not good at it but i think that was not that that's not the right way to look about it so i took a couple of years and even after that but so if you goof up right you make a fool of yourself people will forget about it in a couple of days uh-huh. if not a month if not a year right nobody really remembers all the fucked up things that you do <laughs> and uh, so i that, that that's my third advice and the fourth one would be if you have clarity do what you want because you can actually be good at everything not just the 
mainstream uh, career choices right so during my time i knew for sure that i didn't want to do a masters right in terms of uh, ms or a, you know or a advanced degree of that sort mba again was a logical choice because of the process of elimination but i know that people uh, i knew people with me who were very clear that they wanted to do a masters in a particular specialization and then go on to do a phd and they're actually they've actually done that so if you want if you uh, are serious about it there's a lot of time you can actually start working on uh, uh, figuring out what you want to do after college as soon as you enter it as soon as you enter the undergrad and you get a hang of how things are in the first semester probably from the second semester you can start planning out your future career trajectory and start working on it and then there's a lot of options now Krish. i think at my time i didn't really uh, know a lot of people who had done their mba or their masters there was not a lot on the web there were these very initial uh, nascent forums where you could figure out and talk to people but now i think in 10 years things have changed a lot and uh, you can actually go out and talk to people uh, there are websites where you can even connect to people who have already done uh, you know what you want to do and then take their opinion their feedback and you can actually you actually have a lot of information at your disposal to make a very informed mm-hmm. uh, choice uh, and i think people should do that people should be serious about their career i got lucky uh probably uh, right i just stumbled uh, uh, my you know my way uh, 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 into things that i actually wanted to do uh, but i it doesn't have to be that way for everyone and i think people should actually make an informed choice and you have everything at your disposal right now to do that that's true that's true actually a side note here maybe at the time when you were uh, thinking about cat uh, pagal guy or a couple of platforms like that total gada ha total gada and pagal gadi yes <laughs> but now i can actually as someone like uh, who uh, sort of tried uh, dipping my feet into the same like every undergrad kid who ever went to college so i can safely say that uh, your profile on cora itself is like a mini platform of sorts giving a nice consolidation of all the relevant advice <laughs> so i just want to sort of plug that in here <laughs> actually i want to get back uh, to more elaborate discussion on your iim journey i know we talked yes. about it a lot but i still have a couple of things i really don't want to like miss out the opportunity of this conversation in a way but before that uh, i want to talk about your childhood and in particular your relationship with your father if that's okay with you because i vividly remember reading one of your answers uh, about you growing up you were like 5 years old when your father decided to move out of the village and take you to the city uh, to ensure that you had the best of futures which was a really huge gamble at that point if i'm not mistaken so what were some of the instances from your childhood or some of the decisions that your father made which eventually set you up for success or like shaped of the person that you grew up to be so uh, yeah i think you've got it right krish uh, i am where i am right now because of a lot of folks uh, especially uh, my parents and again especially my uh, father in the formative years and then i think i've had a uh, very interesting last 12 years uh, i've been with the same person my girlfriend now my wife was actually uh, changed me in a lot of ways some not to my liking <laughs> but again good for me right in the end so yeah so i think going back to uh, my childhood uh, uh, i think the uh, 
best decision that my father took, uh, which changed the course of my life, was to sort of take us with him uh, because I was about to start my first standard. And he knew very well that if he stayed back in the village, uh, it wouldn't give me the quality of education that he wanted. And he was at that time in training and he was not allowed to have a family with him. So he sort of smuggled us, in a sense, uh, to Pune at that time. Again, I think I started off in Pune and now, now I'm in Pune, so that's wonderful. So he smuggled us in, he uh, uh, sort of uh, set us up in a, uh, you know, in a, in a civil society. So he, obviously, he, you know, he was not allowed to have a family, so he wouldn't get uh, the uh, army he was, accommodation. He was in the army, uh, if I'm not uh, mistaken, or? Absolutely. In the army, yes. So while in the army, you have your accommodation for your family, uh-huh. but that is not, uh, that's not extended to people who are under training. So he took us in and he knew it was going to be expensive. And I think that at that time, his salary would be a miracle, three to 4,000 rupees. And he was, he was already shelling out 700, 800 for the, uh, you know, for, for a small one BHK house in Pune with a uh, five-year-old and, uh, you know, one-year-old toddler. And uh, he took that risk. He knew it was going to be difficult, but he want, I think his long-term aim was to set me and my sister up for quality education, give us the opportunity, which he never had. Again, I will not say that, uh, right? Because uh, his story is similar to mine, except for the fact that I was already, uh, uh, I had a far better platform to start with. So my grandfather, he, he moved down from the hills. So we, we uh, are from a remote village in Kumau in Uttarakhand. And that's mm-hmm. a very hilly area, right? You can you'll barely find one family in a one square kilometer radius mm-hmm. and they're not good schools. And my father used to sort of actually walk to school, which was 15, 16 kilometers away and then come back. And again, the quality of education wasn't really great. Right? It's a very remote location. So I think after a few years of my father studying there for I think till, till the sixth and standard, my grandfather decided to take his family and move down to the plains where there were more people, more opportunities, more facilities. And he took up a, a, a he took up trade uh, of, you know, building houses of carpentry and all to provide for his family. And my father, they, they had a far, far, far more difficult uh, time, you know, 20 years before mine, uh, but they were severe. So my grandfather sacrificed, made a lot of sacrifices to ensure that he could provide the best, you know, of even, you know, even though that was constrained by his abilities and his circumstances, he, could, he wanted to provide the best he could for his children. Uh, he sort of, um, uh, my father basically completed his graduation and then enrolled in the army, which was a step up from where we were, right? Farmers with no land and a person who is, you know, just uh, who sort of uh, spent his entire uh, youth working and physically pushing the boundaries of his body just to provide for his family. Mm-hmm. And then my father sort of decided to continue that same trend of, you know, sacrificing and doing it, you know, and doing the best for your family. When he took us to Pune. So uh, I will say that that actually uh, had my father not made all of those choices and all of those difficult choices and those sacrifices, I wouldn't have been here. I've been given a lot of opportunities, a lot of uh, 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 platform that he didn't have. And uh, I actually owe everything to him and my mother uh, for all that they've done. And I've, I think, written about it. I don't really like talking about my personal experiences a lot, but I've written about it because I feel that that thing actually had a uh, uh, good takeaway, right? No pun intended, but very good takeaway from uh, for a lot of people. So uh, while uh, we were, so just after a year in Pune, when my dad's uh, sort of training ended, uh, we shifted to Vishakhapatnam, a very amazing place. And uh, again, 
over there i knew that he was uh, at that time diagnosed with tb tuberculosis which was a pretty deadly disease back then and uh, he could not afford losing his job so he would continue his training and his job and then he would come back home and they would go for his treatment and he had a wonderful 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 doctor who saved his life who didn't charge anything from him right so he was a uh, uh, doctor called uh, uh, demudu babu from uh, uh, visakhapatnam who used to treat patients for free to the extent possible he would only charge if the patients were able to pay and he was probably and people talk a lot about uh, uh, you know uh, uh, <laughs> angel figures right and he literally was an angel figure to my dad so uh, my dad did all of that he struggled and fought with tb for close to a year but he never let that uh, get into the way of uh, my or my sister's education or my family's well-being and i think over the years and i knew that it was difficult for him to sort of even manage the fees for my college even after 12 years right so he had a lot of responsibilities to his parents uh, to his family so we're not from a well to do family not at all but i think things have improved uh, uh, quite a bit in the last few years thankfully Uh, so he had a lot of obligations he had very young siblings uh, siblings who were probably 10 12 years younger to him so he had to take care of them also uh, and at the same time he had this new family right his wife and two kids who well, he had to look after so he did the best he could with his limited uh, resources and uh, so even when i was in college i knew that uh, i never sort of uh, uh, let's say uh, i never sort of clamored after expensive things so i was very conscious about my spending because i knew it was difficult for him to provide and even managing fees which was at that time pretty low i think it was uh, including hostel and everything it was close to 75k a year and excluding including other expenses probably 1 lakh and i did my best to get as much scholarship as i could but i knew that still it was a big financial burden on him so i was very conscious about it and i'm still although i'm earning pretty good right now i'm still very conscious about spending mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that was i think one more thing uh, during my last couple of years of undergrad uh, so i I, i was told by a lot of people that you know probably going for a gmat is a better choice in terms of the exposure that you get mm-hmm. uh, and returns you'll get absolute returns after the end of it but i knew it was a very expensive proposition and again at that time you didn't really have a lot of options online to figure out to make a very mm-hmm. sound decision i didn't know that i could easily get a loan without collateral and mm-hmm. something and that is the reason i sort of went for cad which was at that time a far more economical choice than going for a gmat and then going for a ivy league college or a good international college in europe and us where they'll charge you mm-hmm. probably an arm and a leg for you know two years of education and you and you and you knew that you could not afford it uh, so i'll say that a lot of my life uh, till now the 30 years of my life a lot of that has been influenced by my father and my mother who was always besides him right uh, uh, mm-hmm. making the same sacrifices as him making the same hard choices for the you know for, for the children so i think i owe a lot i think probably everything to them Ah mm-hmm. uh, so yeah <laughs> sort of a sentiment for me but again i think thank you for asking me <laughs> can can you actually like uh, recall the day you got into iim what was their uh, reaction like when you broke the news it was sort of like a very happy ending after lot of sacrifices uh, and everything maybe if you can recall so when you got into are you talking about the cat results or the final admission letter uh i I think uh, I mean uh, when the CAD results came out, that was sort of like uh, you knew you were set, right? Maybe unless you there were two different uh, reactions or uh, circumstances. <laughs> in which case, I probably want you to bring up both. 
Okay, okay, interesting. Yeah, so I do remember the result uh, day very vividly. And uh, weirdly enough, I do not have any recollection of the day I got my uh, Ahmedabad offer letter. Uh-huh. Right, which is very weird. That was some, you know, that was a college I always wanted to get into. Uh, after the fact, after the you know, after the fact that I decided to go for the MBA, mm-hmm. but I do really remember the day uh, when the CAT results came out. So they were supposed to come out on January 10th or 11th, somewhere around that, in 2010. Sorry, 2011. My bad. Yeah, 2011. They were supposed to come out uh, during the uh, let's say around 10th of January, but uh, they sort of got leaked a week ago, a week before that. Oh, right. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, again, interesting story. At that time, uh, my girlfriend and I were in Matkao. So, I told, I just come uh, back after our winter vacations. Uh, uh, and I just come, we just come back a couple of days early to Goa to just spend some time and relax. So, we were staying in a hotel in Matkao. And then uh, uh, I was just relaxing. I was not expecting the results to be out. So, I was just relaxing. And uh, a friend of mine who had also appeared for uh, cat along with me she just called me up in the morning the hours of the morning right seven or eight o'clock uh-huh. and she told me to check the results and i told her yeah the results not out not due for a week or so now she told me that they've already been leaked just go and check it out and i just you know i so, uh, I, I was sleepy like it was i think eight in the morning and i was very sleepy and i just all of that vanished and i just asked her okay where what to do how to do it and just, she she gave me all of those details uh, i think she messaged all of those details over to me on Google Talk. I don't think if you remember that, right? It was the <laughs> chat application that uh, people used to <laughs> back in 2010 and all, right? Yeah. And there were no uh, So I did that. So I just uh, woke my girlfriend up uh, and I told her that this is the case. And I just went out in my shorts looking for a internet cafe because there were no smartphones, uh-huh. right? So I just went for an internet cafe. Uh, I scoured around Madgaon for an hour. Nothing was open. It was eight in the morning. It's too early for Goa. Nothing was open. So I just came back. I just called my friend up, and I told her, Ki ye, you know, these are my credentials. Just feel free to log in and tell me." And I just asked her, by the way, how much did you get? So she told me I got a ninety-nine point nine nine. Oh wow! And so I, I I didn't know how to react at that time, and she uh-huh. said, "I don't believe." Uh, I know it's very now, weird. Uh, knowing your story, I sort of know how to react to that, but go ahead. Yes. So, I was, and, I, and she was one of the smartest people in the batch. So, uh-huh. I was not surprised. But I think, again, getting this close, getting probably a perfect score, I was like amazing. And I was, again, then I became a little anxious. Right. <laughs> so, there, there, you know, there's someone who's good at academics, who's, who's been a nine pointer all her life, and she's again aced this exam and probably just probably flunked at it. So uh, I gave her a connection, I think, waited for a few minutes. I think everybody by that time till 10 o'clock in the morning, everybody had gotten wind of, uh, you know, what the results, mm-hmm. uh, so that the results have been leaked and everybody was trying to log in. So that was get you know, it was taking a lot of long time to sort of get to the uh, uh, website, right, get through. After half an hour, she called me up and she told me, you've gotten 100. And I'm like, okay, what is so then you got a hundred percentile and I told her, okay, please don't get with me. This is not a, a good thing to do, right? I mean, this is be serious. And she told me, no, I can send you that screenshot over email, but you have gotten a hundred. Uh-huh. And then we just, both of us just, you know, remained in silence for the next couple of minutes. And we decided later on that the logical explanation for this is that the results are just dummy results, fake results. <laughs> sort of very uh, eerily, uh, 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 what do you call coincidental? To be that, true in a way. Yeah, yeah, to be true, absolutely, right? And <laughs> we were like, yeah, 
प्रैक्टिस में तो वी हैड नाइन नाइनटी उटेंट्स we did that and it was a very interesting kind of a feeling but i think it was more anxiety than relief because i didn't know, i had no idea that the results were true okay uh, so it was a very anxious cup week of waiting but at the final day uh, after 40 45 minutes when i finally got through to the portal and saw my result the final result that was i think a very insane feeling so we went out that same night so i checked my results 6 o'clock in the evening i believe we went out all of us went out for a Good celebration the same day, and I told my father, and he was like, "Okay, good job." And I was a little surprised, right? Uh, I I expected him to be a little more happy. Uh-huh. Then I checked checked again with him the next day. I told him that I got a perfect hundred score in CAT, and you're not happy. Mm-hmm. He's like, "But the exam is of hundred and eighty marks, right?" So I told him, "No, no, I haven't gotten hundred out of hundred and eighty. It's the percentile score that I've gotten, which is which probably says that I am I I scored." Uh, uh let's say i was the top 10 scorers or top 8 scorers in the exam uh-huh. and then it dawned on then he realized that so i so he was thinking that i had a 100 100 more sort of an ap which was still good right <laughs> but uh, so that was a very interesting week interesting few days of my life mm-hmm. but i frankly do not remember when i got uh, the actual offer letter uh, from indabad i do not really recall what really transpired but i was sort of expecting it but again there was a lot of anxiety on you know even after this we don't get into a good college what does that say about me but thankfully i did get a couple of options calcutta and ahmedabad and i was really happy about it actually i vaguely uh, remember reading something on the lines where uh, you were spending this on a party or you were at a bar or something uh, right around the time results came and uh, your dad gave you the money to spend for party maybe or i may be way off here but i remember you sort of had this uh, a moment of realization about money yes. or something just forgive me if i'm gotten it to yeah, wrong here yeah that's uh, that's the right recollection crash so uh, yeah so again my birthday is on jan 4th so uh, i again you know many decided to go out for the treat uh-huh. uh, it was a dual uh, celebration right my birthday and the results so i knew i mean it was a group of pretty odd people that i had to sort of uh, uh, take out to celebrate some of my closest friends so i told my dad that i think this is the plan and i would need some money and that was i think probably the first time in the four years i asked him for money uh-huh. i had some uh, from my savings already but i told him ki thoda sa hoga right you know just i probably need 10 15k 20 20k to do this pause for a moment and he said okay absolutely yeah go ahead go ahead you have all the reason to celebrate and this was before he realized that i had a 100 percentile score and not a 100 out of 180 score okay and i didn't think about it i was very exhilarated so i just uh, thanked him i went to the atm withdrew the money uh, we went out and partied and that moment came back to me few years later right so it was 2013 2014 i had already been working for a year i was paying mm-hmm. off my student loans 
and actually i have me and my friends had sort of planned to go out on a vacation mm-hmm. right and i knew it was a decently expensive proposition right probably a lakh per head and i was just saving for it i i had all of things planned and then uh, uh, dad told me ki yaar next year your sister's fees also coming up so just make sure that you can save for it mm-hmm. i said okay okay I, i i didn't say no to him i said okay and then after the college sat down i said and i thought yaar i mean i've been studying my entire life Mm-hmm. right and now i'm working i'm earning well and even now i'm not able to sort of spend on myself do things that i like and i have all of this responsibility so uh, i had that thought for a few moments then i just went to a near, nearby uh, uh, resto bar and all and i ordered a few something to eat and a few drinks and then while in that bar i had this recollection of this memory from a few years ago and i then realized that okay my father when he paused for that moment he was probably just figuring out if he can actually spare that money and if he can't what he will he do and i just thought to myself okay how selfish can a person be right i mean i'm earning probably 20 times more than him right when we have 20 times more than what he used to when uh, i asked him for a sum like that and now he's just telling me to sort of take care of my younger sister is five years younger to me and i am thinking of that as a burden while he's you know he's sort of spent 20 25 years of his life caring after me making sure all of my requirements all of my needs and necessities are met and taken care of and you know he is left most one unturned and trying to provide us with every amenity every comfort every possibility and i am here thinking about taking a fucking vacation mm-hmm. and uh, you know letting that uh, get into the way of my responsibilities because i i and i think that at that moment i realized that uh i now have a i now in the i am now in the same situation that my father was in a few years ago mm-hmm. because i know that he cannot afford a 4 lakh per annum fees for my sister's education she went to manipal it's a pretty expensive college mm-hmm. right so i knew he could not do that and then i don't then it don't uh, upon me right that i was being incredibly selfish and an absolute tool and that is the day i decided to take a stock of things right uh, uh, rethink the way i was doing things or the way uh, my entire thought process and approach towards life and i'm actually grateful for that act moment uh where that shady bar that i was in because it gave me the clarity on you know where my priorities had to be uh-huh. so yeah i think that was uh, it was a realization a few years late right probably so just 2010 to 2014 probably 3 3 and a half years but it was a good moment because that actually gave me uh, a lot of clarity on who i should be as a person who i should be aspire to be as a person uh, rather than who i was at that point in time uh it's amazing thanks for sharing that deepak i think there is a lot to be learned from that story uh, good to know maybe uh maybe slightly like uh, going back to your iim days and probably <laughs> this is a very um, selfish question on my part but i still feel for uh, folks listening at least uh, uh, who are trying to get into iim i know a lot of people like that they might be uh, very interested in something like this so what was your iim interview like we, the one at ahmedabad on that you eventually got through mm-hmm. okay so uh Uh, most of the interviews were so i think almost all of the interviews so i uh, i interviewed for six iims for fms for xlri mm-hmm. and almost all of them were very different uh, than the others so i think uh, uh, just to sort of recollect my iim bangalore interview got over in 5 minutes and 
the first question that I was asked was about my low GPA, which was probably just north of seven out of ten, and my really poor grades in my core courses in the third year. And I was, and I had sort of decided that if anything, I'll be honest, right? I think that was something that I, uh, that that's a sort of a life uh, uh, lesson or a you know or a sort of a policy that I follow, uh, and that is again something that I've uh, learned from my father. So I decided I'll be brutally honest and I'm not going to spin a story saying that I had this trouble and all of that. I'll just tell them very frankly that I was an idiot. I didn't really take my study seriously. And that was a mistake that I made and I'm ready to, and I'm more than willing to sort of remedy that. So I did that. I told him, I said, Satana, right, right. And this was the circumstances. Uh, I, after probably, after probably the first year, it was all true. After probably the first year of sort of, uh, you know, uh, 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 going to all of the classes uh, and trying to learn everything and excel at it, I just realized that computer science is not cut out for me, right? And then I fell into the trap of uh, thinking or finding excuses, okay, GPA doesn't matter and all of this bullshit, right? And I started skipping classes and then actually that eventually led to my uh, uh, mediocre academic record and I told the interviewer very frankly that this was the case. Mm-hmm. So he told me, okay, at Bangalore, we look for very academically intense, academically focused uh, candidates. So why should we offer you a seat? Uh-huh. So I told him, okay, this is, we are absolutely right. But then, I mean, if you just look at my college record, that's in isolation, then you have your answer, right? I mean, I'm probably not the best fit for your college. But if you look at my academic record before college, mm-hmm. or even my uh, uh, results in CAD, because, you know, that was the moment when I realized that I'd made a mistake in the last few years. Uh-huh. Uh, and I that, and I did my best. So if you look at those things, so you have an idea that I have A, the capability to excel at academics and B, the realization that I actually uh, made a huge mistake during my undergrad years and I'm willing to actually work on that and I, I have proof, right? So I told him that I spent almost eight to nine months uh, focusing on my CAD preparation alongside my classes and my internship in the second half of the year and I actually did pretty good at it. He was not convinced. He said, you know, we cannot waste a seat on someone like you was already uh, shown lapsed once, right? And we would rather afford it to someone who has a consistent track record. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was so frustrated that I told him, okay, if that is the case, then you should probably just lay it out in your evaluation criteria that you do not want someone with a 7 GPA or probably a 9, you know, below 9, sub 9 GPA. And I think that was the point when uh, I offended the interviewer who was probably just <laughs> a few years older to me, like, you know, probably just, I think, 28, 30, uh-huh. my, my age right now. He probably got offended and he said, okay, uh, we're done with the interview. Thank you. Uh-huh. And instead of fighting with him, I just said, thank you so much for your time. It was not wonderful meeting you or something of that sort, something very sassy uh, and something very stupid. And then I sort of left the interview. So that was one. Uh, the Calcutta interview, I was very sure after the interview that I was not going to get in. Uh-huh. Because it was, again, about my academics. Uh, it was, I think, a rapid-fire 30-35-minute discussion on questions related to academics, to the various subjects. And I did try my best to answer them. I had actually prepared for them uh, during after the results came out and I had a couple of months mm-hmm. prepared for the interview. But I think after having walked out, uh, of, you know, after walking out of that 40-minute uh, rapid-fire session with the interviewer where they probably asked me 25, 30 questions, I was sure that I hadn't done a great job. I was not expecting, uh, you know, the final result to be a yes. But thankfully it was. So it was, again, a purely academically focused thing. But probably they just wanted to test if I had prepared for it and if I was willing to sit down through a 30-minute grilling interview schedule. That was something, uh, you know, that uh, that interview stood out. 
the Ahmedabad interview was a very uh, comfortable one. It was my first interview actually, and as soon as I entered the room, uh, I saw these two people who were probably in their fifties, very senior, very knowledgeable from just the look of it, right, the professors. And I actually really got scared at the moment. I stumbled in, and instead of sitting down on my chair, I almost fell. Uh, I uh, shook their hand. I said good morning when it was already two o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> but I, uh, after that moment, they realized I was nervous. They told me not to be nervous. They mm-hmm. told me that everybody here is someone like you, right? A 20, 20, 21, 22 year old, mm-hmm. uh, you know, year old person, and uh, don't get intimidated by us. And they actually made me feel very comfortable in the first five minutes. Then they did ask me about my academics. I gave them the same explanation, and then I, from the look of it, I think they. Uh, uh, liked that reply, they liked uh-huh. the honesty in the reply, and then they asked me a lot about my passion, my hobbies, what I wanted to do in MBA. I, I had some idea till that you know, at that point. So it was a very mixed bag of questions, a very healthy mix of questions from various aspects, from current affairs, from mm-hmm. my you know hobbies and interests, non-academic, uh, to actually academics and possibly uh, you know for my future plans and all. And again, it was a half an hour discussion. And after walking out of that, I was very confident that, okay, these interviews probably won't be as bad or as difficult as I was thinking they would be. Okay. And that actually was a boost of confidence uh, in my later set of interviews for the day and then for the week. And then the Bangalore interview happened. Yeah, actually, I yes. find this a very <laughs> contrasting uh, interview experiences, right? Do you think it's down to the college principals as such or simply down to the interviewers who are uh, their moods and what they are their thought processes it seems like there is too way too much at stake for for something that is not really as systematic as at least i would expect if that makes sense i think it's you're right right uh, an interview is always going to be a very subjective assessment right mm-hmm. it depends on the panel that you get uh, uh, it depends on the interviewer and so you might have a great interviewer but if your personalities do not buy uh, so you might not uh, have a very healthy or a very nice interaction with them and some of them all you know uh, should not but they do carry their own quirks and idiosyncrasies into the interview they carry their own personal baggage which is not a good thing to have Right, and then this, this you're right. There's some impact of the overall uh, college philosophy, right? So I think uh, uh, I think a lot of people n- know this, but uh, uh, I think Bangalore is the one that gives the most importance to your academics. Uh-huh. Right, it doesn't really care a lot about your CAT score. Uh, it cares about what you know, how much you score in your tenth, in your twelfth, in your undergrad, uh, all the things that you do. So if you're a very dynamic undergrad profile with a 8.59 plus GPA and you know you're part of a lot of clubs and you took a lot of initiatives and even though you even if you sort of score a 95 percentile in your cat you still have a shot at a Bangalore. And on the other hand I think uh, Calcutta has a very uh, uh, intense focus on your cat score uh-huh. apart from just a so I know a person I know a colleague of a bachelor of mine who had a 5.5 plus GPA in college and he had an excellent cat score uh, so he got into, got through to Calcutta. Wow. And again, I think it boils down to the nuances of the various colleges, their overall philosophy. And uh, uh, I do not think it's a good way to go mm-hmm. because you are leaving a lot of things to subjective 
assessments and to uh, you know, uh, uh, people's own uh, uh, peculiarities. So whether, you know, depending on the. So if I had a pretty, uh, let's say, uh, if I didn't have the interviews I had that during the Ahmedabad interview, uh, I don't know what would have happened, right? I wouldn't have gotten gotten through properly if they were sure. not so understanding. Uh, and probably it wouldn't have given me that boost of confidence uh, for the letter interviews also. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, being able, being uh, uh, judging someone's overall potential, or you know, deciding their uh, uh, you know professional or you know their their educational uh, uh, fate uh, just based on a single uh, you know sixty to hundred question paper mm-hmm. or on a single twenty thirty minute interaction, I think it's not the good thing. You know, it's not the right way to do things. And it we we need to have some amount of uh, uh, we need to have a system where everything is considered where people get multiple opportunities right where people can actually go back and uh, uh, undo sort of right the past mistakes people are not bogged down because they uh, got a 70 plus percent score in 10 right um, and that could be due to multitude of factors right you probably were in a bad uh, bad phase of your life you lost someone wouldn't really you were you probably just fell sick on the day of the actual exam right so we should not actually penalize students for doing that and at the same time we should uh, not uh, just get rid of that entire thing you need to have a very objective uh, mechanism which gives weightage to different things right people so mm-hmm. so you could you could have a, a system that gives a 10 percent weightage to your 10th and 12th score uh, and it has to be a very uh, logical scale which cannot be gained and then uh, there's something about the undergrad scores, your candidate scores, your interviews, your personality assessment, your overall uh, aptitude, uh, 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 right? Uh, uh, and I think we need to get rid of the subjectivity as much as possible. So I'm very glad that they sort of got rid of the entire group discussion uh, part of the selection process because that really, that never helped anyone, right? People, so having a group of 10 people come in, all of them competing for the same thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you just need to have one a rotten apple in the entire bunch to get the entire group disqualified because they are not willing to listen, right? They just want to be the one uh, speaking all the time. And I think, again, judging, so there's this interesting photograph, right? When, there's this interesting saying, actually. So if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, you'll always think that the fish is foolish. That's the same thing, right? So in a group discussion, I, I've never actually done well. Because I know, again, it boils down to your personality. So people are very extroverted are... Uh, um, people are very extroverted, actually good at it. People are introverts, are not really good at, you know, being part of a random group of people and then, of, you know, fighting for the, uh, the let's say, fighting for the handicaps people write before uh, absolutely. even begin. Uh, absolutely. Is, uh, and there are people who are super confident who will just sort of uh, abduct the entire uh, discussion, right? hijack the entire uh-huh. discussion. And then they get sort of, let's say, uh, then they get brownie points for that. So I think we need to have come up with a better, more inclusive system that gives people second opportunity, that focuses on everything, not just your academics, and that can actually figure out if a person is. So you could be an excellent candidate academically, but you might not be suited for an MBA, right? Uh, and even in an MBA, what the kind of role that you want to do uh, will uh, uh, will be tied to your specific abilities. So somebody who's a very extroverted person is suited for a consulting kind of a game where they have to go out and talk to clients, their problem, right? But a person who is very introverted but a math genius is probably best suited for a, a sales and trading or an investment banking kind of a opportunity. You know, mm-hmm. So we need to have all those enablers in place. I think we are getting there. Things have changed for the better in the last few years. 
but i think still uh, i think arresting the fate of so many young people on a single je examination or a single cat examination i think it's not a good thing um, that's amazing and it's very true i want to switch gears at this point and talk about one of your uh, most favorite things in a way uh, like you have mentioned your reading habits and uh, i'm sure you have read like hundreds of book uh, over the years but uh, could you like uh, list down some of the most important books the books that you have learned the most from or perhaps the ones that you have gifted the most to other people absolutely krish so i think i've written about it also earlier and uh, so probably one of my favorite books would be to kill a mockingbird right mm-hmm. so i actually i started i tried reading it when i was back in college right in my undergrad days i couldn't get past the first four or five pages right uh-huh. uh, i don't know why but again i mean you know it's something that is probably 13 14 years in the past and uh, then someone gifted that book to me while i was i think uh, in my post grad or probably i was already working i don't remember i don't remember that but uh, somebody gifted that to me and i was uh, leaving for home the other day uh, to my parents place and uh, i took it with me for the journey i again didn't finish it on the journey i reached home and then you know it was a couple of very lazy uh, weeks there right having to do nothing so one day i was just lying down on a cot uh, in you know in the front yard and uh, i just picked it up and i somehow uh, i finished that book i think in the next two two and a half hours it was amazing it was a very weird a very uh, surreal kind of an experience going through a story like that uh-huh. and i think a lot of my a uh, sense of morality of justice of right and wrong comes from the character of Atticus Finch who is the father in that main book and i think it, the book itself is a very amazing story uh, about a young girl who sees all of these events unfolding in a small town in USA mm-hmm. back in the days when there was you know, there was rampant racism so i think we've come a long way since then but having gone through that book it was the, the crux of the matter the theme of the book was very simple but uh, the way the story was told uh, and i think the character atticus which actually has been uh, a cornerstone of morality across fiction for a long time now and it's not not just it's no different for me also and that is one book i absolutely recommend anyone to read so i mean imagine the impact that a book has if an author who's you know if it's author who is probably just written one book is famous is renowned worldwide just because of that one literary creation uh-huh. so that is one uh second uh, i one of my favorite books again would be the bhagavad gita right so i've read it a couple of times uh, and i have gone through it excerpts a lot of times i refer to it again because i think it's a wonderful uh, treatise on uh, human values on morality on you know your rights and your duties uh, as, as 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 a person as a family member and everything right mm-hmm. and it lays down things on how to lead a good life so a lot of its verses are you know probably very famous but when it says that you should probably work you you should worry about doing your part and not worry about the outcome of your labor because that is not in your hand that is something that i abide by and i think it's i don't think it's a religious text i mean it's in sanskrit so people might call it a religious text don't think so because it doesn't really talk about uh, religion or you know uh, uh, a theology it talks about how to lead a good life how to be a good human being so that would be probably my uh, you know one of my top three choices 
do you uh, do you have like a particular version i'm sure there are like numerous versions of the bhagavad gita uh, so you read the one that was the original the one written by vedavyasa if i'm not mistaken in sanskrit uh, no so actually i uh, i read the so my favorite version would be the one by swami prabhupad right the founder of iskon because he's done an amazing job translating ah. everything from sanskrit to uh, you know english and it's a very literal translation so it, there's the sanskrit word words at the start then he breaks down the words into you know that literal english meanings mm-hmm. and then he provides the proper translation right translation a lot of things get lost in translation because you have to keep in mind the literal translation uh-huh. uh, the actual intent behind that word and a lot of words do not have a, a direct uh, uh, you know uh, uh, like a, what do you call it? a direct uh, companion in another you know in a, in a, in a different language so i think he's done a pretty good job so i haven't gone through the original one right i think it's very difficult to find also Uh-huh. but this one it's pretty amazing and again i just i just i think i told you earlier also that i just found that book uh by so, uh, you know i was just unpacking a couple of things a week ago so i i found that i only i still have it so i'm again just going through it i just finished the first uh, 30 30 pages yeah yesterday so uh, yeah so that would be one absolutely uh i mean there are a lot of them right uh, i if i had to pick a favorite one i think it'll be either of these two Uh, and then there are lot to read, lot lot of other books that I absolutely love to read. But these two would be my top picks. And I think I, I would probably just I mean once I finish finish re- reading them once more, I have a huge stack of books, and it was actually a pain to carry all of them from uh-huh. Mumbai to Pune. So I'm thinking of sort of giving away some of the ones that I've already read, you know, read multiple times. So I think books are meant to be uh, gifted and shared. I mean, you don't really hold them, and I've been holding them for the last for so many years. So I'll probably just gift them. But I'm not really great at Gifting, adding all of these sessions. <laughs> I should probably do that. Yes. So, do you do you have like a favorite character from these books? I know you read a lot of fiction. Uh, do mm-hmm. you have like a character that particularly uh, you thought at and was you felt connected in a way? Like, wow, this is I can totally relate to what this character is. Maybe it's some of their traits or the situation that they find themselves in. that particular book not really right i mean to relate to character the character has to have as you said like similar traits to yours i don't think i'm that interesting of a person that you know somebody would write a book about <laughs> someone like me i do uh, like a lot of these fictional characters right uh, and i think uh, uh, i've been inspired by some of them i've been uh, you know i've learned a lot from a lot of them but i've never found any character that resonated with me to the extent that i thought okay hey you know it's similar to Uh, who I am as a person, uh, but yeah, I think I've, been, I've, I've actually had a, you know, a lot of characters have had a good impact on me. Uh, so yeah, so for example, I mean, I think uh, you uh, also asked me. So I think I read a lot of comics, right? So comics, uh, I think, uh, is used to be considered a children's uh, medium uh, of fiction. But if uh-huh. you actually delve deep into it, uh, uh, into let's say the two mainstream uh, publishers, DC and Marvel, and into some of these. other niche indie publishers like idw and image comics and variant and all so you'll find that a lot of these story arcs are very powerful uh, a lot of them and telling a story over 70 75 years in continuity mm-hmm. right, with multiple authors coming in multiple viewpoints multiple iterations of the same character and still keeping the essence of a character alive is a huge achievement so i think uh, in comics i think one of my favorite characters is superman i mean it comes as a shock to a lot of people but yeah. i think uh, so, you know the uh, core of who uh, superman is at the you know yeah. at the heart of things is uh, something that everybody should aspire, aspire to be right uh, he's a uh, he's, he's an all powerful being who's 
really should not be concerned about you know people who are nothing to him like you know people, uh-huh. people are like uh, termites or insects to him in terms of you know where he stands uh, as far as power level but he cares for them i think is is someone who's a perfect human being in every sense of the word despite the fact that he you can actually he can actually choose not to be he's outside the purview of the law there's nothing that can stop him but he chooses to be even in the darkest of moments so i think yeah that's there so i'd say across books and comics a lot of these characters would have and when you actually read uh, uh, things when you talk to people uh, so you imbibe a lot of uh, their traits and a lot of uh, you take away a lot of things from them right so uh, there's a saying that goes that you are uh, an av- you are you are the average of the five people you spend uh-huh. the most time with and that's actually true so if you talk to someone if you talk to someone a lot if you spend a lot of time with someone's opinion in particular you will slowly realize that you start mirroring their uh, movements their eccentricities their style mm-hmm. right you adjust and uh, i think the same goes for reading also because it's a companion when you are sort of alone and uh, 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 when you like a character when you uh, uh, get into you know actually get into reading uh, you will slowly realize that a lot of what you read shapes up who you are your thinking your outlook on life your perspectives so i think in that regard i think it is reading is helped me develop a very holistic and i would actually not want to talk about it on a public forum but i think i was pretty narrow minded back uh, i think uh, let's say a decade and a half back right because i wasn't really i wasn't that narrow minded because i was i actually spent my childhood traveling across the country so we were in we started off in uttarakhand we went to pune uh, then we moved to shakapatnam then we moved to patinda in punjab we moved to guwahati then mm-hmm. i came back to isaac to finish my schooling then i went off to goa where there were like people from every corner of the country mm-hmm. and i have friends from uh, you know everywhere from assam from punjab from mp from uh, bihar from andhra tamil nadu kerala uh, gujarat i spent two, two years of my life and so i think i still had a very uh, decently balanced perspective or very nuanced understanding of uh, the cultural variety that makes india a very unique country but i still think that uh, once i started reading very seriously towards probably uh, you know the first first or second year of my college life mm-hmm. i think that actually helped me gain a lot of perspective because i could uh, then relate to things out you know that had that hadn't happened to me in my real life so mm-hmm. i could relate to uh, let's say the cultural uh, eccentricities of a country like usa right how people feel i had i had very little idea of racism i had a good idea about casteism because it's prevalent in india but uh-huh. i had a little idea of racism and its history i had about that and i think slowly over the years so my uh, overall outlook towards issues like you know uh, uh, the lgbt cause or people's personal preferences right i mean a lot of people will tell you that it's you know mo- most of things in life are binary right there's light there's dark there's yes no up down left right and that is how let's say a gender should be i don't think right so i mean if you look at black and white you have an entire spectrum of gray in the middle so i think most of life is a spectrum and i think that i've come to terms with the fact that people's choices are theirs uh, and just because things have been happening in a particular way doesn't mean that they should you know that's the right way or that you know, that is how it should continue and i've come to i mean it's it was i think uh, for a 15 year old me it would be very difficult to come to grasp with the uh, uh, with the fact that you know there are people who are born a particular gender and they feel like other gender and they should be allowed to do that mm-hmm. but in hindsight now i don't think i, I think that's absolutely the uh, the, uh, the the nice thing or the uh, uh, right thing to do right because it's first of all it's nobody's business and uh-huh. second of all uh, you i mean just because you can't think that broadly doesn't really mean that you know that is how things should be so uh, i mean i've i've been guilty of making let's say uh, homophobic jokes when i was probably in my 9th or 10th standard right and then i admit to it 
because I think at that time there was not this level of uh, awareness in the youth. There was not a lot of social mm-hmm. media, so you could you know talk to people who have this. You mm-hmm. have a very you had a very constrained local local localized friend circles. So that was fine, I think. But we have to move on from that thing. So mm-hmm. in a sense, ha. Huh, so I think reading also has contributed because I've I've been able to learn a lot about things I probably will never experience, right? So throughout the world, different cultures, different nuances, and I think that has helped me develop a very decently holistic, uh, all-encompassing uh, 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 perspective of how things should be, uh-huh. and not just you know my very localized way or very narrow focus, narrow narrow way of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, all of these characters, all of these stories, and all of these true. Uh, uh, books that have been written about true events—they've actually helped me become who I am uh, today. Mm-hmm. Maybe I think since you brought up uh, Superman and comics, uh, now would be a good time to discuss one of your favorite characters on the whole big screen. I mean, recently and comics for a long time, the Joker from Dark Knight. Uh, for yeah. folks listening, uh, the context is uh, Deepak has, in a lot of his answers, uh, brought up Joker's, uh, I I wouldn't call it point of view, but uh, maybe something on the lines of what would Joker do or how his perspective is. It seems like you, uh, you have put a lot of thought into the character to try to understand uh, what drives the joker in some ways and i think that's something that we have all tried to do at some point whether it was seeing him in the dark night like nearly a decade ago or from joker itself uh, uh last year was it last year or early this yes. i think i think 2018 2019 yes uh-huh. so so what is it about the character joker that fascinates you that you bring him up and uh, wherever it makes sense to do so. Yeah, I think I find that character very interesting, Krish. I think, uh, and just because you like a character doesn't mean you admire them or you look up to them or you agree with their methods or their thinking, right? I mean, he's a, essentially a psychopath. Right? Uh-huh. But if you get the core of it, uh, that character has been around for more than eight decades now. Mm-hmm. Right, and is literally one of the most recognizable villains in all of fiction, not just comics. Right, so you can, you can argue that uh, in comics he's probably the greatest, uh, most well-known villain, uh, and uh, you could probably put him uh, in terms of all of fiction. You could put him against someone like a uh, Darth Vader from Star Wars, right, or uh-huh. Voldemort from Harry Potter. But uh, the idea is that all of these characters, just the other two characters that I mentioned, they have a very limited, comparatively limited amount of literature about them. Joker has been around for the last eight decades and at the face of it the entire gimmick should have died away you know died off probably just a couple of years few years into the character's creation so you essentially have a clown who thinks everything's funny right and this original version was someone like that like uh, you know the original caricature uh, of joker was 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 someone who just did things for fun uh, and he had these very stupid gigs uh, you know he had this uh, umbrella or that you know that or that flower or label on his uh, chest that would squirt, squirt out a liquid and he would just he would he was just a harmless prankster at the, at the very start and that is I think how uh, uh, Cesar Romero's character was uh, portrayed on the uh, uh, screen uh, but then slowly over the years we follow comics that character being able to as I said right being able to continue the story for 80 years when a lot of people come in a lot of new perspectives come in regularly writers change the storytellers 
change, editors change, but to keep the essence of the character alive is very uh, is a very fine balancing act. So if you look at the character, it started off as a harmless prankster, then sometime in the Silver Age, it was a mob boss, right? And we still do not know exactly his backstory. So he was probably Red Hood at some point. He was probably a stand-up comic who got dejected and killed his wife. Or he was just someone who lost his, uh, uh, let's say, uh, who lost his uh, family and then, you know, it drove him mad. There's this entire uh, backstory about him falling into a vat of chemicals when building a robbery gone wrong and that leads to his madness. But I think recently, I think uh, probably in the New 52 or probably just before that in some in one of the storylines, it was revealed that he's probably immortal and there have been iterations of the Joker. Different people taking the mantle of the Joker mm-hmm. uh, over the last few years. And there's, there's hinting at, you know, there's, there's been hints such as immortality because there are clues that he's been around for probably three or four centuries. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, and I think uh, keeping all of this alive, right? So, joke that, so uh, one of the lines from uh, uh, the Dark Knight is that you know when asked about his past, he says, "If I have a past, I prefer it to be a multi to be multiple choice." Uh-huh. And we don't actually get to see. And there was a very uh, uh, what do you call? It? There was a very uh, interesting storyline a few uh, a couple of years back, I believe, when uh, 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 Batman actually gets access to the Mobius chair. It's a chair which grants you omniscience, right? Uh, uh, oh. In terms of the entire knowledge of the universe. And one of the first question he asks is, "Who's the Joker?" Uh, what's his real identity and then he gets an answer we don't get to hear what the answer was <laughs> and his eyes goes go wide so it was probably a response that he didn't expect and then it was revealed that there were three jokers with three different personalities all throughout Gotham so I think at the end of it and if you I mean I, again as I told you I think earlier I've been uh, getting back into comics and one of the storylines that I am reading right now is the entire Justice League run and the previous uh, mm-hmm. uh, Dark Knight Metal run by Scott Snyder so in that you have a corrupted version of, uh, let's say, of, uh, of Batman who is uh, permanently transformed by uh, the, the Joker's toxin. And so it's a new character that Scott Snyder developed called the Batman who laughs. It's a scary amalgamation of both Batman and Joker. Wow. And the Joker draws a line saying that I'm not going to work with this person because this person is from a dark multiverse. He's from a negative or a opposite wow. multiverse than the normal one. And he draws a line saying that this is a monstrosity. I am not willing to work with him. So there are places where he will draw the line. Uh-huh. And in all of the storyline, among all of these very weird, very new villains, uh, in uh, 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 literal goddess who created all of the DC main uh, uh, multiverse, uh, right? Uh, a lot of these creations from the other side, the dark multiverse, and the fact that Lix Luthor in the storyline gains almost godlike om- omnipotence. And still, Joker is one of the main characters. He's probably the most interesting character about this entire Justice League run. Uh, and I think uh, I have seen that in almost all of the comics that I've read, which featured him as a, uh, you know, as a main or a secondary character that somehow is able to steal the show. So I think just uh, the fact that he's been around for so long that he started off with a very pale, uh, uh, very vanilla kind of a gimmick and then evolved into this very complex, nuanced character. Mm-hmm. Uh, that still is able to draw people to uh, the works that he's featured in. I think all of that makes him a very interesting, very unique uh, fictional uh, construct and uh, doesn't really mean that I admire him or his methods, obviously. But I think that is one of the most well-written, most nuanced characters that is there in fiction. Wow. Have you you written this entire explanation somewhere as an answer? I... I mean, I think I, I, I've thought about it, right? So, yeah, I've thought about it. Uh, and I think I did write 
couple of answers, but exactly. not from this perspective. Uh-huh. But yeah, I think I'll, I'll be very honest that I mean, it's, uh, the reason that Batman's so famous is because he has a wonderful rogue gallery. And Joker being one of them elevates him to a very different status than other superheroes. Mm-hmm. So Superman as Lex Luthor, you have, you know, Victor Von Doom of the Fantastic Four. And he's again one of my, uh, Von Doom, Doctor Doom is one of my favorite characters. But again, nothing, none of these amazingly written detailed characters stand uh, in front of the Joker. So he's, he's one level, one notch above everyone else, mm-hmm. even the best written out of them. Uh-huh. Th- this is also the reason why he goes beyond uh, this is the reason why he is so much more famous also i mean i have never read a comic in my life my uh, understanding of the joker is basically from two movies but still mm-hmm. you could still like uh, relate to what he is up to in a way like he taps in a lot of our innermost perspectives on things that we don't really tend to entertain Hmm. And you can actually take him in, uh, you can uh, understand him in different forms. You can portray him in very different, very radically different uh, uh, you know, forms. So if you look at just the last three movies, so the Joker from The Dark Knight, Heath Ledger's, was a very unique uh, uh, interpretation of the character, right? It was all about chaos and, uh, 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 you know, just doing things to uh, do it, right? Without any singular motive. Then you had Jared Leto's uh, Joker, which was not well received, but I think that was the fault of the movie to an extent because it was not well put together. Uh, the CGI was shoddy, the storyline was weak, and then his character didn't really have a lot of time uh, on screen. But that was a, then that was the absolute psychopath psychopath version of the Joker. And then what we saw with Joaquin Phoenix's uh, portrayal in the uh, you know the Joker movie was something very different, right? and it actually gives a very uh, uh, human angle to his backstory to his entire uh, uh, you know persona i mean again doesn't justify the things that he does shooting all of those people and all uh-huh. but again so you have three di- very radically different interpretation of the same character coming in just 10 years and all of them have been good right i mean you can argue that jeritus wasn't as good but they've all been very different and very unique and very exciting to an extent yeah. so when you have a character that that malleable uh, i think you have something very great on your hands yeah, I think at this point he is sort of transformed from this comic villain to an anti-hero. Thing is, yeah, in the, in the Joker movie, yeah, from his perspective, yes. <laughs> but if you look at yeah. a lot of these characters, right? So you have to explore storylines and angles. So if you look at all these characters, Magneto uh, does similar stuff, right? I mean, he kills a lot of people. But uh, if you look at things from his perspective, he's just doing the best he uh, he can to protect uh, you know, mutant kind, right? And you actually empathize with them in a lot uh-huh. of storylines. The same goes for, let's say, a Doctor Doom or even a Green Goblin that was actually <laughs> a Joker rip-off for Marvel to some extent. But if you actually delve deep into comics, you'll find that there's something for everyone. There are storylines taken from the perspective of the actual villains, which you might resonate with. Uh, so I think, yeah, that that makes, I think, comics also a very uh, unique medium. So you have thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of storylines going back to 70, 80 years. And you know you have to piece all of that together. It's a very amazing mythos that they've built. They've been able to, these last two companies have been able to build over the years. That's true. That's true. I think 2020 is like you know <laughs> this is the closest thing here in real life to the comics that we see. <laughs> Mayhem. Yeah, very interesting year. <laughs> do you, do you think looking at all the things that has happened in this year? Can you like think of anything that 
will be a silver lining oh as to come out of this entire crisis absolutely absolutely i think you have to have that perspective right otherwise there's so much wrong going on in the world that if you just focus on the negatives it's going to be a very difficult time for everyone but you have to look at the larger picture right so when people say that you know uh, uh, let's say let's take the entire case of the uh, the you know the, the protest going on and the blm protest going on in america uh, if you look at just that, those protests and uh, protests in isolation the incidents that led to them you'll feel that um, us is a very dangerous place for let's say black people uh-huh. uh, but you have to look at where we have come from i mean again we have a long way to go but today right now the world is the uh, uh better than it has ever been in the past in terms of let's say uh, issues like feminism or lgbt mm-hmm. acceptance about uh, you know uh, uh, let's say the blm movement uh, in terms of economic growth uh just a second say sorry yeah so i i just want to saying that things are, things right now are better than they were they ever were Uh, right so uh, you have to look at those things so all of these protests happening they they're there for the good right now it's a it's a fight right but i think something good will come out of it uh, and at the same time for example if you look at this entire epidemic going on epidemics and pandemics are going to come and go right uh, pathogens evolve so and we are never going to be immune to all kinds of pathogens out there so this is going to happen better today than probably 15 years ago when we didn't have uh, technology to rescue us right so imagine this happening in india in the year 2000 when there wasn't social media there was no online delivery uh, uh, right and uh, how 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 would have things have been managed right so right now everybody is working towards common goal to get to the vaccine the fastest so uh, the idea is that this incident also is going to transform the world i mean i i might i am thinking of this as uh, sort of a mini purge right so you have a lot of these stale businesses going out of business like people are losing their jobs which is absolutely devastating but this will actually cleanse the uh, uh, what do you call the current setup right so you'll have all of these frail uh, outdated outmoded businesses going out you'll have a lot of new innovative companies uh, uh, coming into the light right on the back of this uh this has actually helped transform the entire uh, uh let's say uh the entire work industry in terms of you know working from home so once you have and i think people have been pushing from work you know for working from home for a long time but com- companies especially old companies especially indian companies have not been very have been very reluctant to agree to that citing fact the reasons that you know this would lead to a decrease in productivity and this you could there's no way you can measure if employees are actually working so that trust factor is not there but this now because they have no other option and i'll tell you very frankly that i have not seen a drop in productivity in my team or in uh, let's say my colleagues within my current company right uh, and actually it's just gone up because people now don't have to spend 2 hours a day to commute That's right true. so when this happens you look at the ripple effects so a lot of these uh, uh, commercial real estate is going to get freed up we don't have to have companies at the center of a city and then you know just uh, outside on the outskirts you have these very expensive Uh, apartments and people who can afford it live there and you have to pay exorbitant rent just to be able to you know just so that you're able you're you're close to your you know where you work and you don't have to spend two to three hours stuck in traffic so i think a lot of these things will go away all right a lot of real estate gets freed up uh, companies cost of operating go down so that would mean better profits probably more salaries for the employees people are more happy because they can actually you know work from the comfort of their home 
and eventually over time you will see that these mega cities that have cropped up right because cities crop up because you have a central uh, you know you have a central uh, place uh, where things are happening with their industries and then people start living and then it starts expanding outwards and that is how the situation in india is so if you look at the top 10 top 20 cities they house probably 20 30% of india's population and uh, the rest of the country is empty and you don't have opportunities there because everybody wants to come to a bombay or a chennai or a, you know a delhi or bangalore hyderabad uh, to work because their opportunities are there. But if somebody in, uh, let's say, Chandigarh or Nanital, you know, or probably in Ranchi can work mm-hmm. for a Bombay, Mumbai-based company out of their home, it's, it's good, right? I think, and then yeah. Bombay, may, the population pressure eases, everything goes back to, I mean, it becomes better than it was. So that's that's probably one silver yeah, lining. This has taught us to be more... Have, have uh, you have is, you followed what Zoho is doing? Sridhar Vembo, CEO... No, I mean, just if you could give me some context. So, uh, Zoho, obviously, is like one of the poster childs of Indian SaaS ecosystem. So, Sridhar mm-hmm. yes. uh, Vembo, CEO, is actually working out of this small town called Tinkasi. Like, not a lot of, uh, I mean, I come from Trichy and not a lot of people have heard of Trichy itself. Tinkasi mm-hmm. is like, at least like, Two, three levels below that. I mean, I don't mean it uh, in an condescending way, but just uh, give some context. But he, this CEO, he is, runs this uh, multi-billion uh, enterprise and he has been working out of this village, you know, with cows and uh, the uh, agricultural lands and everything right in the middle of it. He has been working from his home where he originally came from in Tenkasi for like more than a year now, I guess. Mm -hmm. And he's someone who has been pushing this whole effort to uh, bring back this urban population, like you mentioned, to urging them to go back to their home cities, you know, tier two, tier three towns. I mean, otherwise there is no way that they are going to come up in terms of the economic opportunities available. Now, unless someone powerful and influential who can actually like take the initiative and do things like this. Agreed. And if you look at it, right, that should be the idea. Working should not be about uh, coming to a particular place and then, you know, being there for nine to 10 hours and then working and then going home. And, you know, you lead a very stressful life. I actually felt that a couple of weeks after I uh, moved to Pune. So Pune is still a very big city, but right now I'm in the outskirts of Pune, Dijewani. So it's, it's relatively far peaceful than a normal city would be. And Bombay, I used to feel that stress, right? So even if you step out, you see a lot of people, you see a lot of automobiles going around mm-hmm. and you live in a crowded place. I used to probably shell out 25, one-fourth of my take-home salary on just the rent itself. Right? Mm-hmm. It's a huge wastage of money. And it's all, the entire real estate thing is blown up. Uh, there's a huge bubble mm-hmm. every in all of these major cities. So people can actually do that. Uh, I would I would rather take a 50% cut and stay home with my parents. And if I can actually work out of there, right? I think it makes a lot of sense. A lot of the work now can be done remotely. In the last four or five years, we have had this internet boom in India, thanks to Geo and you know, but then other players following soon. And my place, which didn't really have electricity two decades ago, now has a 100 Mbps connection in you know, back home. So uh, a lot of things are transforming. And, we, and I think tech, uh, industries have been very slow to adapt to that. So I think this was the push, final push that was needed. For example, uh, I'm not I'm not sure if you would have experienced this, but in one of these big companies, for example, in my company only, 
right uh, till last year for every quarter all of the senior management from our global locations in us and uk and all would travel to india every quarter for a week to attend the board meetings in person oh there's no reason why that cannot be done online but that was the norm it was being followed so imagine the carbon footprint of flying from uh, new york to uh, wow. mumbai imagine the stress imagine the wastage of resources mm-hmm. the time wastage of at the senior level that is all avoided now right everybody is working out everybody is working the entire world is getting back to normal and people like i don't think more than 10% 15% people in india are in offices yet and things are still going and smoothly so i think this was the push that was needed mm-hmm. so that's one good single lining in a, yeah. in a way it's actually a lot better now even take my case earlier when i was working when i was just a couple of episodes in with the podcast there was always this uh, uh pressure you know i have to like travel back and forth two hours a day just like you mentioned and then i only would have had like weekends to focus on the podcast right now i am like i can just come sit for like uh, eight nine hours and i literally save two hours every day that's like 14 hours in one week itself that i can uh, spend on reading on my side projects and exactly and the thing is that nobody is able to uh, uh no, nobody can actually concentrate on work for eight hours straight right you can maximum concentrate for an hour or an hour then you need to take a break if you are in office the break that you take is probably for coffee or you know uh-huh. office, you're or you get back to the work mode even when uh, it doesn't make sense to do so i just wasted time so if uh-huh. i take a break every one and a half hours or 15 20 minutes i'm not doing anything productive at home Uh, i can probably just you know clean up my place right up uh, uh, to a small 15 minute of uh, workout session so uh, you get all of that time to yourself and as you said right right people in mumbai for example travel from kalyan and dombivli to let's say overly uh, at the south of bombay and it's a four hour journey uh, either way and then you spend an hour half an hour an hour getting ready wow uh, so it's a lot of wasted time lot of imagine so multiply let's say one hour on average for every working person in india uh, every day so imagine the number of years human years it adds up to uh, every year so that's insane and we're saving all of this time and things have should have been this way uh, for almost a decade decade and a half now since the advent of the internet but that is not the case right people have been working more when they should be working less mm-hmm. we have all of these tools and these programs this this technology to help us automation and all but they just pouring in more and more more time into work so people in the industrial era used to probably work 6 hours a day 7 hours a day now they are working they are working 10 12 hours a day and there are these books about ceos working 120 hours 140 160 i got into said something that said 120 or 130 hours for 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 someone right i think marisa mayer or someone that's insane you shouldn't be doing that right the family goal of life is not to work So if you, the primary goal of life is to be happy and to have a <laughs> wonderful life, and the work is just an enabler for you to earn money to have that comfort. Mm-hmm. But I think we somehow these things got lost uh, in, the, in the past few decades, and I think this is something that was a push that was needed. Right, when you have no other option, you have to try it out. And now companies are more amenable to this. A lot of Indian big wigs have said that. Infosys, TCS, and have said that probably half of their workforce will be working remotely uh, even after the pandemic goes away in a few mm-hmm. months. I think that's a welcome change. That's sure. Do you do you see the educational system uh, transforming as a result of this? And I don't just mean at kids sitting at their homes on their tablets and mobile phones. Our education system has been overdue a big change, 
and yes. the pandemic only does that to a certain extent right unless the work, whole work from home setup for students and uh, the kind of syllabus it's still the same for it i mean uh, since i am sitting at home i see my brother studying here and he is still studying the same kind of things i studied which was like 12 years back you know the syllabus or his writing mm-hmm. handwriting for pages and pages and <laughs> after graduating i can bet that he's not going to write a page you know as in like on a paper uh, i mean you can argue all for uh, writing on paper over document but this is just one instance there are a lot more dumb things this education system still forces us to do what are some Absolutely. of the, what are some of the changes that you wish might start cropping out as a result of this ah uh, okay i don't have a very specific uh, very informed view on that right of what thing you know how this might actually affect the education sector but things that i would love uh, changes that i would love in the way uh, you know tickets are being taught these days i mean there are there are there are a few things right as you rightly mentioned the syllabus needs to be revamped right uh, today uh, languages programming languages that were in fashion let's say probably a decade ago no longer are and just to sort of uh, just to sort of pick back on your point so while i was in college a lot of our coding examinations uh-huh. right in bits used to be on paper so you have to write the code on paper that doesn't make any sense at all so while in the real world you'll have a compiler you'll throw out errors right you'll be able to troubleshoot them by you know figuring out solutions on the web and that is how you're supposed to work but you you are expected to memorize stuff oh, as if we are in an era ha huh, right i mean before before computers let's say that was a big deal i mean you had to memorize stuff otherwise if you don't remember something you have to go to a library figure out where a book is right and then be rely on the judgment of probably the librarian to get you the right book uh, go through it right and then just to find that one piece of information right now all you have to do is just you know unlock your mobile which you don't want to type a passcode now right you just look at it it opens and there's a google search bar you just put in that particular query and you get a response within 5 seconds so things have changed uh, the world has changed but the education sector sort of sector has sort of remained stagnant so i think uh, sticking to the same curriculum the idea that people kids of let's say a particular age should be in the same grade right if you are 15 you probably are expected to be in the 9th or 10th standard and uh, from the start there's this very standard way of uh, teaching students uh, right uh, there's no customization there's no accommodating the fact that uh, people start learning at a at a different age at a different pace somebody who might be slow i think again it's a very personal anecdote and i'm not sure my sister will like it but she was very slow when she was in uh, her initial years of school right and we were very my parents were very worried but she was a late bloomer when it came to uh-huh. let's say education and she's picked up wonderfully she is a far 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 better coder than i am right she is amazing at her job uh, and she is really doing good and we just realized that later that probably for her it was a different path uh, and i think that is how if you force down the same uh, mode the same content on kids who have different cognitive abilities different level of uh, understanding when they are let's say 5 years old when they start school different interest then are actually uh, then you actually just pushing out a very standardized very uh, uh, factory mode uh, you know output in terms of the students that go out right so you need to factor in the uh, factor in the 
uh, different uh, unique strengths and unique inclinations of students right i think a lot of stress should be placed on online learning uh, right so you have these wonderful uh, 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 websites like coursera like khan academy like dtx and all where you can actually go in on any topic and that is something that i've been doing for the past 8 9 years now and i actually that was one of the reasons i started this blog called university of kora where i would just uh, 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 you know write about things Uh, that i think people should would find useful right about resources that were free or you know were available for a nominal price and you can actually learn everything you can you might not have a background in computer science but you can actually learn coding in probably just 6 6 months right a couple of mm-hmm. uh, uh, important languages and you can actually get an entry level job uh, without having a computer science degree mm-hmm. and i believe i read an article i'm not really sure if that was uh, you know that's a fact or if i remember that correctly but it said that couple of large companies like apple apple and all are rethinking or have actually changed their policy when it comes to hiring so they no longer look at your educational background so just because somebody got into an harvard or a yale or a columbia doesn't mean that they're better than someone who didn't go because mm-hmm. the other person might have had very different set of circumstances which prevented them from being able to uh, you know get that opportunity mm-hmm. right so this actually levels the playing field right so uh, uh, if you have to get into harvard you need to be from a privileged background you need to be able to spare that amount of money that amount of coaching that amount of focus that your parents have from the very beginning but if your parents are working they don't have time for you right? they're just focused on uh, ensuring uh, you know the three square meals a day kind of a setup then you are left in the dust you don't have the resources you don't have that access right and uh, there was this again a very wonderful article about privilege that said that a lot of successful entrepreneurs actually come from privileged families where they have a safety net right so you might want to start a business you might have an amazing idea uh-huh. and you never know right if it it might uh, become the next big thing it might fail spectacularly like 90% 95% of startups do but you as a very common person as a or you and i as a let's say as a middle class or lower middle class whatever you might call it person who doesn't really have a safety net who can't afford to be out of job for a year you can't do anything right so you either do that in your part time and you are only mm-hmm. half heartedly into it and you can't take that risk of leaving a job so you don't take that leap and obviously you don't reach anywhere I, but I, if you I have i'm seeing a comic on the same lines i yes, think yes, it was shared yes, by one of my favorite <laughs> yes yes yeah. one of my favorite is called the honor played by pencil sword Uh-huh. and it talks about and it does a amazing beautiful job yeah. of explaining how privilege can lead to different station in life right i leave that on the show notes as well yeah absolutely that would be one i think i recommend that to almost everyone because it tells you everything about privilege in just mm-hmm. probably uh, 20 25 odd panels so the idea is that education now because of these online learning uh, avenues is has become accessible right so i one of the first courses that i did on coursera was this one on financial markets by a certain robert shiller uh-huh. right and that person teaches at yale he is the i think he is the head of uh, his the uh, professor of economics there or distinguished professor he actually won a nobel prize in economics so imagine being wow. uh, able to learn from someone like that without having to go to us right without having to attend his classes and being set setting probably thousands of miles away in mumbai so the opportunities are severe and endless so that is i think one more thing right so you have the syllabus that needs to change you have uh, customized learning for for kids based on their interests and their strengths mm-hmm. uh you need to have online learning become a major component so probably uh, you know uh, there should be some way so in us a lot of these online courses 
actually give you credit towards your college uh, uh, courses right so you don't even college you have to have 20 credits and you do a course which is for one credit accredited by that particular college you have to just do 19 courses right which is good enough so a lot of this flexibility needs to come in and again as you said with the work from home situation if it you know if it's like this then uh, 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 parents can actually get the parents actually have time to spend with their kids and they can actually focus on all of these resources we need to create more visibility more awareness around these opportunities that are there but people do not really make the best out of it so that has to change and i think again in india specifically the focus has to sort of shift away from just science and engineering and medical to other fields right so we have a Uh, we have had a very narrow focus in terms of so everybody would have i think this is something that a lot of indian people our age would have heard right ki engineering mein hi scope hai yeah i mean do engineering because that is the uh, one that will give you the most career opportunities which is which was true for some time mm-hmm. but again that doesn't mean that you can't earn a good livelihood in some let's say journalism or pursuing mm-hmm. photography or doing freelancing work being a stand up comic being anything right now the avenues are endless so there are kids on tiktok and youtube making videos on a regular basis or being far more than i would be after 8 years <laughs> and you know working after mba and all so it's, i think it's a very good thing right it's, uh, the playing field has been leveled you don't have to rely on a particular company or a particular uh, uh, college getting into a college right you don't have to bank upon all of those uh, chance outcomes in order to uh, have a promising or a, you know successful career so you can actually just sit at your home and be doing what you like and you have all of these opportunities you, all you need is a probably a laptop and that you can purchase for 20000 rupees now right which is not a big deal for most of the people again so this has to change i think so folk education has to be something which is education system in india and across the world has to be something which is very fluid which keeps on changing as per you know how the world is evolving how technology is evolving and that is something that we haven't really seen right so as you said cbc ka syllabus if you take it right now it's literally the same thing that was being taught to us 7 10 10 15 uh-huh. years ago probably taught with probably two decades ago and they things might just have moved up a little a couple of notches in terms of you know kids nowadays probably are learning in the eighth standard what we used to learn in the ninth or tenth standard that's the only difference that's but there's the same focus on the same set what, of what what is your first step like um, say if you had the chance to do something about this Mm-hmm. specifically the indian educational system where do you mm-hmm. even start like i mean i know you brought up a lot of points and mm-hmm. as much as it makes sense i honestly don't see any of them happening in overnight <laughs> or in a year or even maybe in half a decade so what would mm-hmm. be a good starting point of that change from where it can probably you know be a cascading effect i mean you could always i mean it has to be done probably from the top of right top down sorry uh, so you need to set up a committee which looks at the curriculum every year sees what needs to change what is outdated right remove it right keep it dynamic so that could be one change that the government or the uh, hrd ministry uh, could you know start working on uh, we need to have more career counseling you know in school probably let's say in the you know, secondary uh-huh. or higher secondary education uh, we need to have more uh freedom for people for kids sorry to choose their subject so still you have the same set of subjects i was just talking about that so you have the same set of subjects you start off with let's say two languages english and hindi and then uh, probably a local vernacular language in lot of uh, state uh, schools and then you have maths you have science you have social science so that's pretty much it 
right what about economics what about history right uh, what about let's say philosophy what about psychology uh, a lot of these uh, factors have to be uh, uh, considered so obviously math some something like a maths or english is very basic you have to do it right it's the foundation of a lot of things but people should not have to wait until they are in their uh, 11th standard to say ki, okay i want to uh, let's say be an engineer so i'll go with maths and uh, i want to get into let's say physics uh, mechanical engineering so i will focus on maths and physics right or why why won't go on to be a doctor so i'll probably skip maths and focus on biology as my core subject you should be able to give people that give kids that uh, option early on so that they can actually so i don't i don't think two years of focused medical uh, 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 syllabus actually prepares you for medical school uh, and i think i have i uh, uh, we waste a lot of time reading about things that we should not be right which doesn't really add up to uh, uh, you know uh, uh, which doesn't really help us in where we want to go so if i was given a chance for example i would probably skip hindi right for example uh-huh. or probably sanskrit it was a good i mean it was good to learn obviously but the idea is that i could have learned something else we still have the same subjects right i, I didn't have I, i had zero idea about economics or finance mm-hmm. or about all of these uh, what do you call um, negotiations uh, art subjects absolutely yeah so these are subjects that could be taught as a very focused three month course you don't even have to spend a year on it right so let's say uh, the art of negotiation uh, uh, let's say uh, international uh, uh, trade uh, right so just to give people in flavor introductory course on that so if somebody wants to pursue career in that is interested reading about it so they can take up following uh, you know intermediate or advanced courses in that so we need to change the way schools are run uh, i'm not very in sync with how the system is right now there are a lot of boards there's cbse icse there's the international board and all Uh, but i think i've heard good things about the way the international board does things right we need to have a lot of more focus on hobbies uh, so we used to have probably one class every week for sports uh-huh. which is insane right why <laughs> physical development is as important as mental development so you have a uh, you, you you need to have probably an hour every day where people where kids can focus on the physical health right they can uh, focus on sport they can focus on uh, working out on probably just meditation right if they like mm-hmm. uh the same time there has to be a lot of uh, uh focus on developing hobbies right so you had we had these classes when we were young on painting or elocution and all but that just stopped when we when when i when i sort of went to six or seven standard yeah exactly but you need to give people those other music right somebody wants to be interested in music they need they should be able to uh spend an hour a day learning music in school right uh, probably going through some courses on music theory or blah 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 mm-hmm. so the idea is that people should have this choice we should not look down look down upon hobbies as something that is you know you do in your past time hobbies are important interests are important and uh, so this could be one more change that we bring in and i think finally i would love uh, if we started following the nordic model very closely right where you don't really gauge you are not out there to test who is the best student in the class mm-hmm. your aim is not to uh, uh, boast about uh, your average uh, uh, 10th uh, you know the average score uh-huh. of your all of your 10th class students right so a lot of schools do this that you know the topper for the our, our topper 10th topper is probably the, the third rank in the state i mean it's a huge competition why why are we doing this to kids so uh, nordic model basically doesn't have really have tests except for the standardized tests that help you know help kids figure out their uh, colleges and all uh-huh. later on uh, where they want to get to 
and it's more about understanding and accepting that kids start learning at a different age they pick up at a different pace they have their own cognitive differences in terms of overall ability also but every kid has that opportunity to explore everything figure out what they want to do without the pressure of you know these these examinations and this hyper competitive uh, setup that we have in india and i think that is something we need to imbibe so it doesn't really matter if a kid in first standard got 90% or 70% absolutely that doesn't matter in life also but then you start drilling that into a 70% guy from the start that he or she is not good enough mm-hmm. right and that actually leads them makes probably probably leads to them becoming a dysfunctional uh, adult with little confidence right with uh, doubt in their own abilities and it never allows them to actually explore their full potential so that i think nordic model if you could i mean i like i can again share a link with you later on but so if you could actually follow that that is that is the ideal way to go right now until something better comes up mm-hmm. now that perhaps as a follow up to this uh, this discussion on educational system maybe let's talk a little bit about uh, marriages on the face of it they are not really tied up but from a societal perspective they are it couldn't be any closer actually you know what you study defines what kind of a bride or groom you get it's that intertwined actually and uh, also okay. i yes. do this is very weird i'm already worried for my prospects so that is prospect <laughs> air coach because i did only bachelor of commerce <laughs> so maybe and i i know that you have a very strong and uh, a very balanced opinion on our marriage system just like the one that you uh, talked about on our educational system so just you know i am just going to leave it open ended like that what is what do you think is wrong with the current system <laughs> i think uh, we also treat marriage uh, as a very standardized activity right there's a set way of going about it so i just I had a check. friend of <laughs> so i just had a friend for dinner yesterday right so uh-huh. we were in school uh, together so he's also turning 30 i'm so he's also turned 30 this year i've also turned 30 i've been married for the last 5 years and that was my personal choice right he's not it's his personal choice but he just told me an incident where uh, his family is worried about it because his parents are now retired from their jobs mm-hmm. and they're worried about him finding a good girl right and uh, the same quips right already 30 how late do you want things to be when we were your age we already had you and you were 5 years old and all like that <laughs> so and he recently got added to a group which was about a particular caste and uh, marriages within that caste which had probably 300 members and he was shocked and he just left that group and then he got an earful about it from his parents because they were the ones who such you know who added him to that <laughs> i'm sorry but this is like uh, eerily similar to a lot of stories that i hear from my i mean obviously not my marriage also both the extremes right now i am too young to talk about marriage also <laughs> i can't even like have a perspective on marriages because i'm only 22 but when i turn 30 i'd be too late to you know exactly yes. it's just like uh, i'm sorry i'm sorry go yeah. ahead no 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 absolutely that's fine yeah i think yeah so it was a very amazing very hilarious conversation i could relate to him right and then the idea is 
in india marriage is seen as something that you have to do at a fixed time right so you start school at 5 you you finish school at 17 you graduate at 21 you probably do your master's at 23 24 and then in a couple of years after getting your master's you know after settling in your job 27 years 25 26 27 you're supposed to get married for girls is you know it's at a younger age for a little bit and then you are supposed to have kids by the time you're 30 and that is something that my parents and in-laws have been haunting me for for the last 4 or 5 years so i told them yaar ki uh, when i <laughs> when we plan to marry early in our 25 right that time you had a problem saying that is no age to get married mm-hmm. and now you are telling us that is too late to have kids right so doesn't really makes and you can't have your cake and eat it too so you have to figure out what you know either we are too early or too late so uh, marriage also i think um, uh, arranged marriages i have a very strong view on and i i'm sure that a lot of people would not agree with it right mm-hmm. but uh, the way arranged marriages see arranged marriages can actually work right uh, but you need to have a good enough time between uh, meeting someone for the first time and then actually getting married to them but in india doesn't really happen right you're supposed to just go meet have a couple of three four sessions with them for an hour each and then figure out who they are as a person and then you know decide on whether you want to be their life partner for the next 60 70 years then which i think is insane right i mean i for example do not buy a shoe or a you know t-shirt online without reading about it for an hour right without probably giving it a day nights rest so how are so how is someone expected to figure out who they want to spend their entire life with and that is a very important person right i mean you i mean you spend a lot of time after you graduate away from your parents you don't spend a lot of time with your friends you probably just spend eight hours in office right but uh, and that of that keeps changing your teams keep changing your roles keep changing but this one person is someone you'll spend probably 10 to 12 hours every day with for the rest of your life and uh, you need to be sure of your compatibility before you take that plunge but in india there's a lot of social pressure right you have all of these uh <laughs> uncles and aunties hounding your parents and they in turn you know venting out their frustration on you to get married mm-hmm. so uh i think uh, we need to relook at it right love marriages are not bad a higher divorce rate is not bad mm-hmm. that actually points to the fact so uh, i have heard this argument uh, in a couple of places that divorce rates are rising so mm-hmm. which is which means that the younger generation current generation doesn't really have a grasp and that love marriages do not work absolutely wrong in love marriages when two people decide to get married because they love each other uh so they are doing that because they have that option right so they can probably come from a more uh, liberal uh, right not the uh, family in terms of the mindset and if they get divorced later on that actually means that they both have that choice mm-hmm. right uh, so in in let's say probably 100 years ago women didn't have a lot of say in the marriages uh-huh. right a men would just probably just desert their wives and go on to marry someone else there was nothing about divorce so there was nothing about you know female uh, 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 let's say empowerment which allowed them to probably go, go and file for a divorce uh, if they were not happy with it and that is how people just uh, accommodated people adjusted people put up with let's say physical abuse verbal abuse with uh, incompatibility with and the discontentment and uh, and then the outcome of that was a lower divorce rate because there was no system for that mm-hmm. right uh, so now people have that option so i think the marriage industry in india also needs to change right it's perfectly fine if you get married in at you know when you're 22 someone like you <laughs> it's perfectly fine to get married when you are 35 it's perfectly to remarry it's perfectly to divorce right it's perfectly right to divorce and uh, uh, that entire taboo around uh, divorces especially women the entire taboo around widows has to change the entire uh, uh, hatred or sort of you know dislike for love marriages has to change there's nothing wrong in people 
uh, 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 knowing each other before marriage, deciding to marry of their own volition. It's not the encroachment on the parents' right if their kids decide who the life partner should be. It should be their decision. And uh, at the same time, I think uh, the entire marriage industry in India still, sorry to say, but it's still very caste focused, right? So, like the yeah. previous example that I gave. I mean, right before this conversation, there was there were I, at least three different ads, you know, community focused matrimony ads. Yes. <laughs> Which is I, mean, I don't want to like, go about pointing out names, but you mm. get the picture, right? I mean, people mm. have turned this into business as if caste wasn't infiltrating every other part of your life. <laughs> I mean, th- that is one, but if you look at uh, stuff like IITIMShadi.com, which is insane. Right? So now there's a classist angle to it, to marriages. So you're supposed to marry someone of your own within your own uh, standing, within your own social status, which is insane. Why should that be the case? You go and marry anyone you like, uh-huh. right? But in India, may, that is not the case. Uh, uh, there is a elite matrimony. What? Mm. I mean, like, okay. how elite matrimony, like, it just sounds so wrong to you and bring that up. <laughs> elite matrimony, okay. <laughs> <laughs> If they're going to do it, at least do it in a more, you know, polished manner. I know. I mean, if you look at India, you have uh, dozens of religions, right? Uh, you have uh, 30 odd states, hundreds of cultures, thousands of languages. I don't know, four major castes and then probably hundreds of varnas and, you know, sub or whatever you might call it. And then you're supposed to follow all of that, figure out the compatibility according. So I had a colleague uh, who really liked the girl he was seeing, you know, he, he met uh, through this arranged marriage thing. And in the end, uh, things didn't go, uh, things didn't happen because, uh, I don't know, I mean, if I'm like, saying it right, but when the astrologer compared their charts, they were only compatible on 12 out of the 24 or 34, whatever, you know, qualities oh. they are, which is insane. <laughs> they both liked each other. And that is all that matters. So that's one. And I think at the same, same time, the onus of change is on the youth, Right. If you look at all of these matrimony ads also, all of these expectations. So this guy, again, gave me a couple of examples. So a couple of girls who approached him, they were very forthright in the first conversation regarding his salary, his earnings, his property. And they were like, I mean, if you want to, if you're going to marry, we want to, get, we want to be married to someone who is settled in life, financially secure. And that guy asked uh, the lady about the salary. She was earning probably one third of what he was, mm-hmm. right? And then the expectation is that uh, the guy has to provide, which is wrong, right? If you're talking about an equal world where women and women should and will have equal rights and equal liabilities and responsibilities, you need to have equal contribution too. So if you're talking about men doing household chores, right, uh, and uh, you know being more active in uh, you know uh, uh, parenting, then you have to have women reciprocating by leaving these old notions of, uh, you know, b- 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 financial stability has to come from the male partner and all of these things. And I mean, in, 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 in probably just a few more years, right, probably hopefully in just probably next year or the year after that, we might see, uh, uh, you know, same-sex marriages legalized, right? So then how does that work? So if your two girls are married, who do they depend upon, right? Uh, and uh, that thing has to change. And again, from the boys' side, it's the same thing. People... Uh, I mean, the boy might be a five, eight, one, uh, you know, a uh, hundred kilos fat with a pot belly and all, but he wants a girl who looks like a, uh, you know, movie star who's, who has a perfect figure, perfect skin tone, right? So we have all of these shades of racism, of, of, of uh, classism, 
of uh, let's say financial uh, uh, you know expectations still running amok from both sides and unless the youth changes you can't really expect people the last generation to adapt right they are set in their ways you can't expect them to change overnight so you have to take that step right right uh, yeah. yeah so i think a lot needs to change but things will happen krish they will happen they have they things have changed for the better they keep they they they'll keep on changing will eventually reach to a point where this will no longer be an issue and hopefully we reach there soon but it will change hopefully this conversation uh, does me some good on the, personally in a couple of years maybe we'll see hope oh, yeah, absolutely i mean see your life is your life right so you <laughs> have to make sure that uh, any decision that affects you has to be yours i'm sorry parents are amazing and i uh, i think we've already touched upon this during the earlier part of our conversation i'm eternally indebted to my parents but when this you know when it was time for my marriage it was my choice i had a huge fight with them mm-hmm. and that was it no no you know by no means disrespecting them or uh, you know uh, ignoring mm-hmm. all that they've done for me but again it's my life they don't have to spend time with my wife i have to spend time with her mm-hmm. right and uh, there was this huge issue about me feeling being from uh, you know let's say uh, uttarakhand uh, her being from odisha different mm-hmm. languages different cultures all of these things doesn't really matter right uh, so i think you need to take charge and it will be a tough fight at times but you need to persist because you have to make that change so when it's your turn you are 25 you want to get married go ahead you want to get married to a particular person go ahead you want to go to arrange marriage route go ahead you don't want to get married forever go ahead your choice right and uh, i think we need to sort of take up the when i say we i'm already in my 30s so not we but people like young people like you have to take up the mantle and drive that change mm-hmm. absolutely true you know like when i talk with you i mean it's the same when i was uh, reading your answers when I, when i've been reading your answers all these years you have this incredible amount of clarity that when it comes to a lot of subjects you know if it's almost like master ugwe from kung fu panda when talking <laughs> you or when sharing your thoughts on subjects i'm not that old buddy <laughs> <laughs> that's one thing i mean my knowledge on this whole comics or even movies is uh, much more limited so that's probably the most uh, closest comparison that i could find maybe yoda and then again he's much shorter <laughs> but uh, anyway uh, it's like you always seem to be on the right side of things you know and by the way i don't mean lot of politically people. i don't mean this <laughs> yeah i know you have a couple of instances <laughs> people have come at you for that as well as in yeah. <laughs> you know it's sort you seem to be very closer to the truth in a lot of subjects than most people a lot of important subjects but if you could are there instances are there uh, any opinions where you believed something but then you realized that you were on the wrong side of things absolutely absolutely yes i think i told you right so i had a very narrow view of things few years back right and uh, it's got to do with your exposure uh, to various uh, facets of human life to various cultures various settings uh, to various points of view so for example i think uh, 
if we just go back to my school, even if I just go back to my school days, I thought that homosexuality was a unnatural thing, right? I mean, the same argument that a lot of people still use, right? It's a man and a woman, and there's no way two men or two women can reproduce. Uh, things have been made that way and in nature also you see the same thing mm-hmm. you don't see two lions together you don't see two tigers together all of that bullshit right so I had that view and uh, again it did not I it never transformed into hatred for someone who is like that right someone who uh, uh, who uh, let's say someone who uh, 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 not to a level of personal hatred or vendetta against someone I can never understand that but again I thought okay this is something unnatural right so if then that argument came along that, that that uh, homosexuality or transgenderism could probably be a medical issue, right? I thought, okay, maybe that's right, right? It, it could be something because you anyways do not see that prevalent in nature and human mm-hmm. beings also probably just 1% of probably less than that. People are uh, uh, not, let's say, heterosexual or, you know, cisgender. Then it has to be something abnormal, right? It's, it's in mm-hmm. 0.1% of cases. But then if when I started reading about it, one thing, so one thing was reading about things, right? And then I figured out research that is far more prevalent in nature than you would believe. Mm-hmm. It's perfectly fine. I think monogamy or this particular, you know, all of these codified structures are just there in human, uh, in the human race. But animals have a far more liberal, far more inclusive kind of a setup. Mm-hmm. And obviously there are biological differences. And then again, I don't retain the exact gist of them, but there were a few scientific reports that said that it could be because of your a genetic uh, uh, makeup, it could be because of your upbringing also. Mm-hmm. It is perfectly natural. Uh, it's got nothing to do with your, let's say, you know, with having uh, abnormality in that sense. That was one. The second one was I realized that how does it affect me? It doesn't, mm-hmm. right? If somebody is out there, uh, if there's a guy out there who likes guys, it doesn't really affect me, mm-hmm. their choice, right? And that is one of the core philosophies that I follow whenever I have to think about topic. Does it affect me in a negative way? No. Me getting offended at something because my religion says so is not really affect, you know, affecting me. That is something that I choose to believe in, right? So just because it offends your religious sensibilities or or probably just, your, you know, it is against your worldview doesn't really mean so. If somebody comes out tomorrow and says that it should be perfectly fine to have something like The Purge, the movie, every, uh, uh, you know, once a year, I'll be vocally against it, right? Because that actually affects me. I might get killed. But in this case, it doesn't. People's choices do not affect me. Uh, so why should I be bothered? And if I have to, I should respect everyone's choices, right? People can choose to, I, if you go about, there are 700 crore people in the world, right? And if you uh, uh, believe that everybody should have a particular way of thinking, they should follow a particular political ideology, a particular philosophy of life, have a particular approach, follow a standardized, then that, where's the fun in that, right? So you have to accept that all of these 700 people are unique, right? In their own way, they have, I mean, you'll never find two people who are exactly the same. Uh, and you have to come to terms with that and that is the beauty of life. So I think that understanding or that clarity that people's choices are theirs, if they do not affect me, I don't really care what music you listen to unless you are playing it so loud that I'm, you know, I'm able to hear it in my uh, house and you know, it's disturbing me, for example. I don't really care what you do, right? So, and that's not in a delegate sense, it's in the sense that uh, I'm not being apathetic, but that is accepting that, okay, this guy is, is into something that I am not, but it's perfectly fine because he, I am into things that he's not, for example. Right? So that understanding that uh, it's not about you and that people have their own lives, they are free to make their own choices and you are, you are no one to judge people based on what they believe in or what they do, their actions, their thoughts, their ideologies is something that I've been, you know, that I've tried 
to uh, 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 keep at the center of my thought process every time I think about a new issue or something. You know, if I if I uh, read or uh, uh, talk about something or a new topic or, or a viewpoint that is diametrically opposite to mine. So in that case, I believe that I think we have to evolve. Yeah, we can't just stick to outmoded uh, beliefs, and we need to be open-minded. We need to believe in science, and at the same time, we need to. Keep away from other people's business, right? Mind, mind our own. So, and you have to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Mm-hmm. So that's the philosophy, the quid pro quo thing, right? So you have to be a good person, and uh, you have to accept all of these changes. So tomorrow, yeah, I mean, for example, probably just let's say fifty years down the line, mm-hmm. if you have uh, uh, a realistic androids and a person falls in love with an android, I'm pretty sure that even uh, uh, a lot of uh, uh, let's say homosexual people might oppose it. For example, right? I'm just taking a view. Because that is something that is novel, that is new, that has not happened before. You think that is unnatural. But who are you to judge? No one, right? So you have to come to fact, uh, come to terms with the fact that the world will keep on changing. Things will happen that have never happened before. And just because they've never happened before doesn't make them wrong, right? So we need to be, I mean, so if you, you, see, you see in Star Wars, right? So there are all of these species and they're, uh, people, you know, people are no longer restricted by the fact that they have to date within the same species. I don't, I mean, I don't know the science of how that works. But if that is that be the case 200 years from now, so be it, right? So people should not judge. People should give a chance, try and understand, be more under, you know, be, be more open to new ideas and new uh, thoughts and to changes. And if that is the thing that everybody follows, will be a far more, I think, uh, understanding, far more loving uh, global community. So that is actually, so yeah, I had this, I think this was just an example, right? So uh, this is, this is all got to do with, and you'll still see a lot of, uh, uh, so I had a, a junior from college who came out when uh, the Supreme Court verdict, uh, uh, you know, uh, was announced on uh, homosexuality and he came out and that his story was beautiful. It was featured, his parents are amazing. His story was featured in a lot of pages. But when you, when I actually went through the comments on his Facebook uh, post, there was so much hatred, right, from people who didn't even know him. I didn't know him, and I was, I, I, I felt amazing that he had this. He finally had this opportunity to be who he was. Mm-hmm. And but you see, you see, I saw a lot of comments from people saying this is unnatural, and that you know his parents should be ashamed that he's turned out this way, which mm-hmm. is insane. I mean, these people are just sitting there, stewing in their own uh, filth, in their own poison, right, spewing that out for others, and it's, it's not the nice way to do it. If you have, if you don't have something good to say, just shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Right. Sorry to use that word again. I think I've used it a couple of times in the discussion. But that is how I sometimes, you know, sometimes it angers me to see people uh, thinking that it's. I mean, they are the probably the gods and messiah who has to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, deliver everyone from evil and you know show us the light and their way of thinking is the perfect one. And that couldn't be further from the truth. So if people just mind their, you know, when started just minding their own business, that'd be great. Absolutely. If there is one takeaway from the whole conversation for four. For anyone listening, <laughs> and the problem is the lot of things that we discuss, uh, the things that we want to uh, say to people who do this stuff, they they are probably not the ones who will sit and listen to this. Right? <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> and these people. I, I hope they do actually, right? I mean, I hope they do. I hope people uh, change. Right, change is good. So I hope people change. People shed their old outdated beliefs right which uh-huh. were fine when you were in the 15th century when people had slaves and you know women had no rights but then yeah, things have changed you have to adapt to it i mean that's the that's the one thing that human beings should do it's to evolve right so i hope they do i hope they have a change of heart sure. then they listen to this 
do do you see yourself penning a book sometime down the road sometime yes sometime soon <laughs> probably that, no i've been awesome and i'll tell from experience at 4000 answers it's getting a little difficult to rummage through <laughs> a pile of golden nuggets you have i had a few ideas i still have a few ideas so i keep a journal where and i've just listed them down things i want to do things probably you know books i want to write i have been doing that for a long time um, but as i told you i am uh, in a phase right now where i am not able <laughs> to focus on something very specific and writing a book is going to take a massive amount of effort and i just want to write something that is true to who i am uh, mm-hmm. to write something that i think would help people right it could be a fictional story right i had a, i had a couple of ideas in mind but i'm not a very creative person so those were the only two ideas that i had i still have but uh, in terms of non fiction uh, i think i so my aim would not be to uh, you know publish and get to a best seller title from any of these portals or to make a lot of money out of it it'll just be to help people so if i think i would do that at some point in time soon probably not <laughs> i haven't really started i i penned down the first page of one of my six seven ideas that i have right now probably when i was 24 25 and that is still there on the on page 1 So maybe yes, I think I've taken I've taken a break from uh, writing on Quora right for some time now. So maybe this will give me time to think about focus and put all of my thoughts and energies into this single uh, uh, pursuit. I would love to do that, uh, but I just I think it'll be a challenge for me because I again as I said I don't really have that amount of patience or that amount of focus. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it'll be good. It'll be challenging. It'll be good. It'll be rewarding in the end. and it'll be interesting if nothing it'll be a very interesting journey 6 7 months a year probably but at some point absolutely krish yes wow that's awesome i probably like pre book somewhere <laughs> let me state <laughs> that i pre book a signed copy <laughs> so, so as we come to the final part of the episode uh, and this is what i like to call as the random <coughs> Uh, this very random questions there is no really any connection between one and the other just a, f- a few random things that i really want to like thoughts on absolutely bro so let's maybe start with if you could dine with anyone in the world top ceos actors scientists who would you want to dine with you get to pick one person uh, you get to have one great conversation over a hot meal who would that person be interesting uh again i'm i don't idealize actors or let's say sports mm-hmm. people a lot right i think they do a wonderful job of what they do but i don't think uh, they are someone to be emulated or to be you know uh, uh, followed again not meaning negative anything about them but the amount of adulation or the crazy fanatics that they get Mm-hmm. overshadows a lot of other stuff you know for good actual impactful stuff that other people are doing but i think there's one person actually two people uh, uh who i would love to talk to so one of them would be bill gates right uh-huh. uh, so again i mean famous for let's say all the uh, uh, uh for famous for a lot of different reasons mm-hmm. uh, i think the richest man on the planet for so many years right founder of one of the biggest firms in the world and all of these things right? revolutionized the pc uh, movement but i think uh, it's the second half of his career right after uh-huh. he retired from active participation in microsoft uh, is what i would focus on i think it's amazing that a person like him 
has time to do all of those things as someone like him and his wife melinda have been driving a lot of change in the world right in africa in india uh, campaigns to eradicate polio malaria hunger uh, 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 you know access to clean water sanitation it's amazing that there's this one guy so a billionaire who could probably just retire and live a luxurious life but he chooses to spend his retirement actually having an impact on the world because he he can he can do that right and it's amazing that he does all of that every day and i look forward every year to his uh, you know uh, section about his favorite books and i try uh-huh. to you know we can read them as much as possible and i follow him a lot and i think he's someone to be emulated and if you want to if you want to talk about a a a a businessman to be emulated that probably would be bill gates i mean he built a business from scratch he he revolutionized revolutionized the entire industry he built this amazing company that's among the top 5 in the world right now is provided access i think windows still powers 90 to 95% of all uh, you know operating system all all uh, let's say uh, uh, computers right and uh, it has given our people i mean the internet wouldn't be the same without probably microsoft and you can argue that he might not have been the best of person during his early years his bad with his co-founders right the monopoly wala thing and all but that is something that he did probably in his early years right now he is someone who comes across as a very wise very learned very amazing uh, uh, empathetic human being who's doing everything he can uh, to uh, bring a real change in the world and his his efforts probably has uh, impacted the life of millions of people in africa and in southeast asia so i think that would be the top of my list second would be salman khan and not the indian actor uh, the founder of khan academy right <laughs> <laughs> yeah so and again he has done more to revitalize education than anybody else uh, in the last so many years right khan academy has given rise to online learning and that is one of my favorite things about the internet and he did all of that for free he Mm-hmm. left his wonderful job and he did all of this and he comes across again as a wonderful 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 human being and uh, one of my favorite ted talks is i think ted talks ted or tedx talks is when um, bill gates introduced al as uh, you know the founder of khan academy and one of his favorite people and that was and that was a very wonderful moment for me because these you know these two are my two of my favorite people when it comes to look you know someone uh-huh. to look up to yeah these two people will be the top of my list right now amazing i'll move on to the next one here when you turn 80 what is the one thing that you want to be known for uh i again i don't have uh, that drive crash that i want to be known or something right i just as when i let's maybe in that case let me just tweak <laughs> my uh, question for you there you turn 80 uh, <laughs> when you're probably uh, you know buried uh, what would you want your tombstones to say <laughs> i know it's not the best way to put something i'm saying absolutely fine no, absolutely fine i think that's, that's i mean death is inevitable right and it's not <laughs> something that should not be talked about right and uh, it's natural so i would just say that i would want uh, at the uh, towards the twilight of my life to uh, personally uh, know that i've had a wonderful life a happy life i've done everything that i could right and i think i would just want to be known as a good person a good husband a good brother a good son a good friend you know father if you know if i actually ever have decided to have kids a good friend 
uh, a good person and i just want people to not remember me but just i just want people to be happy uh, uh, you know for having me in their life how so much ever right so it could be someone my closest friend it could be someone i just talked to once right and I, that is something that actually i try and emulate again right so if i meet someone talk to someone i just my core aim is that after that interaction they just should be happier than they were right that they have to have something that they uh, imbibe from that and uh, they are better off knowing me or having talked to me or having interacted with me than they were that they would have been not doing that so that's pretty much it right if my coach had to say something it would Amazing. probably would say a good a good person a good happy person that's pretty much it <laughs> and i mean i might probably err on the side of flattery here but as someone uh, who's been following all these years like i said at the very beginning and it is safe to say that you have had a profound amount of impact on a lot of people i'm sure there is i'm not the only person there i'm sure there are like hundreds of people on kora who feel the same thing about you and this is one of my uh, favorite things about the last 20 years of having been you know active on social media writing a lot of these things have been when people come back to me and tell me that you know uh, i've actually been able to help them and that's a very amazing feeling uh, uh, so a lot of folks told me that they were able to ace their mba entrance exam because of mm-hmm. the advice i gave them and i think that's again overblown it was all because of the efforts i i just was able to probably guide them in the right direction uh, a lot of people have told me that uh, they were able to uh, do things or you know stop procrastinating start you know get up and start doing things and achieve something that they wanted to because of a couple of messages that were exchanged between me and them Mm-hmm. and that's probably the best feeling right so whenever i get all of these messages and i have to somehow figure out how to save all of them on quora right there's not an easy way there's no way to search and all but i think that those are some of my uh, some of my fondest memories from the platform mm-hmm. so i hope so i think that that's amazing right and uh, i just hope that i can continue that for the next 50 for 60 years hopefully <laughs> so i'll move to the last couple of questions is random deck questions here so imagine you have a billboard that uh, will be planted in every town in the world and it will display a message that you want what would you want the billboard to say it could be a quote an adage a message that uh, uh you firmly believe in that you want to put out for millions of people to see this is some of the oldest things right so uh, you have uh the line in the bible that says love thy neighbor right and that was written at a time when you actually probably just stayed in one place now everybody is your neighbor right so you keep on moving you keep on meeting people so the when when you're flying to the person next to you is a neighbor for the duration of the flight mm-hmm. so i'll say love the, you know, love your neighbor with the caveat that your neighbor now is everyone else in the world mm-hmm. right so be good to people be a good person that's pretty much it i think uh, if everybody just decided to sort of be a good person and not hate someone because they have a very different political ideology or uh, you know they are from a different religion different uh, uh, mm-hmm. ethnicity i think that be swell yeah mm-hmm. so i think that is all i think there's nothing new i can add to it so mm-hmm. some of the timeless pieces of wisdom are absolutely wonderful so yeah be a good person love other people uh, don't be an asshole <laughs> right people i people. i like that last <laughs> line better than as a nice <laughs> new age <laughs> don't be an asshole <laughs> billboard absolutely <laughs> <laughs> so 
Okay. So for the last question, before we reverse the tables, which is very to ask me one question. So the last question for you would be, um, if you could nominate one person from your network that you have always admired, uh, someone who you have looked up to maybe, and who you would think would be, a, uh, who'd make a great guest for the Great Club podcast, you know, someone who's... Mm-hmm. Uh, words of wisdom will impact a lot of people who would that be okay uh, so see again i don't i don't uh, i think uh, i'll probably just stick to people i know on quora for this right uh-huh. because there'll be someone who's common so i'll say one naman naman chakravarti and again naman if you're hearing this sorry for putting you this you know putting you in this position but naman i think is a very balanced very uh, 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 refined very uh, clear-headed guy who knows what he's doing and what he's thinking and I think he'll, I, I would love to meet him someday. So one would be Naman, the other one would be Tejaswita, Tejaswita Apte. So she's been writing a lot. I mean, we have been there on Quora since the very start. I mean, Naman came in a few years later, but Tejaswita and I go back to probably seven, eight years from now, like 2013, early 2013-14. Uh-huh. So Tejaswita and she's been writing a lot. She used to write a lot about... Uh, law and all and then I've recently been following her posts on life, on marriage, on love and all of these things and I think again she's a wonderfully, uh, she's a wonderful human being and she actually was very helpful uh, during uh, you know, a pretty difficult period that I had a couple of a year or so ago right and uh, I think yeah and she will bring to the table a perspective which is which would be very interesting, very unique uh, and I think uh, that again both of these people are fantastic they are knowledgeable they are very balanced, uh, very uh, uh, sorted uh, uh, individuals, and I absolutely admire both of them. So either of them would be amazing. Wow, that will be. And again, if you are hearing this, sorry. I mean, if you don't want to hear this, I'll apologize to you <laughs> some later. I'll. <laughs> so I'll probably take it on from there. <laughs> sure. See how they feel about this. I'm sure they'll be happy that uh, you did mention. And I'm not too sure how willing they would be, but we'll <laughs> out. <laughs> so as I personally reluctantly come to close the curtains on this one, we reverse the tables and uh, I thought of take the hot seat and I will answer one question that uh, you have for me. Okay. Yes, yes, I do. I do actually. A couple of them are... Uh, uh, you know, but driven by personal motive. So I actually thought about it, right? And my sister has been pestering me to uh, get into podcast. Uh, uh-huh. And I think it's a wonderful use of your downtime. And you've done an amazing job of setting something up from scratch. And I actually was uh, going through your podcast listing on Spotify and all through the episodes and all. I think you've put in a lot of effort and you've built up something which is which could be very big in the future. I hope so, right? And I, I absolutely pray that it does. Uh, so, uh, one thing, how did you get started, right? Uh, what is, uh, so for, for someone who probably would want to start a podcast later on, what would be your advice in terms of keeping it simple, in terms of figuring out the content or your uh-huh. niche area, uh, in terms of driving and researching, researching, firstly researching about the person and the conversation that you want to have with them, in terms of being driving the conversation, in terms of post uh, uh, discussion editing and all right so what would be a simplified version of your advice to someone like that okay so I think uh, this is something that uh, uh, having started I mean uh, I just started out 
but having spoken with a few people here and there, this is something that uh, I do have people asking. And this is again something that I ask. Even earlier today, I I was talking with one of my friends, uh, Roshan Roshan Karyapa. He runs a podcast called The Startup Operator. Uh, so even I mm-hmm. still have my doubts, and we set up a call earlier today just to clear up my doubts and some of uh, uh, the things that I have been pondering about. Uh, so uh, again, earlier this week, I was talking to someone who was uh, who wanted to set up a podcast, and the sort of thing that uh, I told him was, uh, I mean, so I think I'm planning to do a podcast 101, much similar to my personal finance 101 or coronavirus 101. I want to do this okay. podcast 101 where I bring up a, a fellow podcast host and we'll clear up all things right from the topic research to uh, distribution, everything, you know, one master class on that. But uh, that my two cents on that would be, uh, if you're looking to start a podcast, figure out uh, what you really like. Right. I, it's mm, probably very obvious, but it's very mm. easy to fall into this trap of what people are doing as opposed to what you personally like. Uh, to give mm-hmm. a uh, very personal example, uh, since I'm in the uh, SaaS space, the startup ecosystem, for I've been very fortunate to have a lot of people who are already doing uh, this, who already have their side hustles as podcasting. I've been very lucky, but almost... 99% of the people that I know who are podcasting, they do it within SaaS or startups. When I wanted to do podcasting, it would have been very easy for me to follow the trend. Uh, of course, I already know a lot of people in SaaS. It would have been much easier uh, bringing up guests. But I was very clear that SaaS is just one. SaaS or startups is just one of my passions. I am interested mm-hmm. equally in psychology in uh, sports and having these abstract conversations like the one you had. So that was one of the mm-hmm. very first things that uh, I sort of had this clarity on, which greatly helped. Yeah. I think that advice holds up for everything, right? So you should do things that you can do or you want to do rather yeah. than things that everyone else is doing. Right? So yeah, that's uh, good advice. And I, I actually look forward to that episode, Krish, where you uh-huh. break it down at I would probably want to do this kind of a conversation where I'm the, you know, I'm the other side, I'm the host uh, sometime later, right? Probably, again, uh-huh. uh, awesome. a lot of my plans will come to fruition. But yeah, I think that'll be good. So I'll, I look forward to that uh, episode. And I actually have one more on the same topic, similar topic, uh-huh. right? I don't uh, know a lot about your personal life, uh-huh. but I've been reading about the Takeaway Club. So if you had to just pick up one particular moment, uh, let's say a single sentence, a single anecdote, uh, or something that you could summarize probably in a couple of minutes. So, what was your favorite moment in doing this for the last few months now, right? So, so what a favorite moment or takeaway from uh, your earlier discussions? Okay, okay. See, this is not fair because you asked this question because whatever I bring up, uh, it does involve you, right? And uh, this should have been my answer. Uh, Whoever so prior, prior to today, prior to today. Uh-huh. No, actually, see, this goes back to the time. Do you remember when I actually cold messaged you on LinkedIn? So I sent this huge message and uh, I sort of had forgotten about it and you hadn't seen for a couple of weeks. But when you actually saw, you put out a very nice note, right? 
So I immediately like <laughs> uh, took a screenshot of it and I shared it with uh, one of my very good friends. So that was a, a really nice moment that uh, that I could uh, instantly recall. It could also uh, be a, a case of recency bias. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> no, if you have to go back to an actual episode that you did, and thank you for that compliment, Krish. But if you had to, if you had to go back to an episode where you were having a discussion with someone else, right? And over the past twelve, thirteen, fourteen episodes that you've done, I think in that case, just pick a moment. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I'm not really able to pinpoint any particular moment or a question as such. But one of the uh, one of the episodes that I really enjoyed doing was. Uh, the one with uh, shashwat uh, seker currently in the us and how i got to know him is uh, i was sitting in my house one day and i had this very old new, uh, somewhat old newspaper right? and i was casually i don't read newspapers at all i know it's a bad habit but i simply can't uh, <laughs> do that but somehow there was this uh, piece on one of the supplementary uh, papers that caught my attention the virus fight club was the title of it it basically had this uh, small small uh, profiles of people who have been doing their part in the fight against the corona virus right? and there were folks uh, from ngo there was a couple of startups and that's where i saw shashwat's profile this one tiny box uh, he's uh, uh, at us working on a vaccine so i sort of took that newspaper and i simply like uh, looked him up on linkedin and uh, to my surprise uh, he was actually very fast in responding to my connect and from there on we connected and we ended up doing the episode this entire thing happened in 10 days uh, i was amazed at how everything fell in place for me someone who never read the newspaper to actually look at the paper and then to find someone from chennai who had gone to us and is working on the coronavirus like what are the chances of that and then like uh, me connecting with him and him responding uh, and he was actually someone who was into podcast so he was more than happy to do that so that was probably like one of my favorite moments and the episode itself uh, that became like the most downloaded episode because he would have like broken down everything you needed to know about the virus right wonderful wonderful i'll check that out definitely yeah hey, thanks krish and um, yeah so i'm uh, sort of disappointed that this whole conversation is <laughs> coming to an end but i am very glad that i got to record so that we can revisit whenever we want right long term plans i'm going to have this content repository <laughs> on everything you know i'll have different categories right wisdom uh, mm-hmm. startups everything you know have different guests and whenever i want to like uh i feel like i need a bit of clarity on things so i'm just going to go back to this wisdom folder and pick up this episode with deepak mehta that's wonderful akash and uh, thank you so much for uh, this opportunity right it's something that is out of my comfort zone and i'm glad i did it with someone who's as accommodating and understanding as you and you've been very patient with me so thank you for that and this was a very wonderful experience for me uh, and uh, a sunday well spent so uh, yeah uh, my, my yeah my compliments to you for the job that you're doing and uh, you know my gratitude to you for thinking thank you uh, you know and having me on this uh, on on your show and yeah best of luck for the podcast too